tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight only on Disney+. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. and salutations welcome back to sacred symbols a playstation podcast this is episode number 170 my name is colin moriarty i'm joined as always by my son christopher chris reagan chris how are you today oh no (laughs) (laughs) it's begun i'm i'm doing good i didn't get much sleep last night uh Mm. just because like i it was one of those situations where like i just couldn't find you know like a good temperature you know, yeah, it was just the like the Definitely. fan was on and then it got too cold and then I shut it off and then it got too hot and then I tried to do that weird like, you know, there's only three phases that a fan has. So it's like trying to find the one in the middle. Ah, it was a yeah. mess. Oh, I, I totally understand. Temperature is so important. I like making it as cold as possible, like yeah. as cold as bearable at night. But that's just my, that's my flavor. Mm-hmm. It's my personal flavor. Well, Chris, we're glad you're here amongst us nonetheless today and of course dustin Furman, executive producer of last stand and co-host of sacred symbols how is your life you're wearing uh what i feel like is a appropriate shirt for today that's uh, right i don't know if that's intentional i assume it is uh, uh not really i i did think of it but i this was like i'm starting to get towards the end of of laundry you know um and like there was oh, like a an, few that's an end of laundry shirt that's interesting well it, it wasn't meant to be i actually found it and i was like this is a a top choice shirt Right. that I've somehow missed. And so I was excited that I found it and could wear it. Like it just somehow amongst the clothes was mixed up. You know, you know, you guys, I don't know. Do you totally. guys have a pecking order of shirts? Totally. And it's like, eh, this one fits a little <laughs> off. I'll save it till the very end. Yeah, um, definitely. So there's shirts I wear where I'm like, Oh no, I know I'm not going anywhere today. So I don't mind wearing this shirt or whatever, but right. I've said on the past, I have hundreds of t-shirts that and i've gotten rid of a bunch of them too yeah but i've just saved a bunch because my my oldest shirts are my brother dagan's old like late 80s early 90s t-shirts like skating t-shirts and those are awesome but then over time i've just kind of kept things here and there like that castlevania shirt i have the wmd shirt which i love of, of the weapons from castlevania i got that in college like 16 or 17 years ago so some of these shirts come and i totally agree there is a pecking order and i love right. finding a shirt that i'm like <laughs> oh yeah I forgot I had this, but also right. I, I, I lament the shirts that I know I've lost over time that are right. forever. That's, yeah. that's always sad when you, especially yeah. when it's a good one and it's like a top tier shirt and it's just like, just so happens to not, not be the strongest material. I had a, right. I had like a shirt that I loved that was like, it was, I've talked about it before, but it was like the cast of Seinfeld and it just said Nirvana underneath it. And I loved that <laughs> oh, shirt and, man. uh, <laughs> It fell apart so quickly, like within like two years, it was gone. But I have a bungee shirt from like twenty, like two thousand nine, that like is still exactly the same as it was. It's amazing. So, I, yeah. I think about that all the time. I have I have stuff from the eighties that my like I have a champion sweatshirt from the FDNY from like the eighties that's like good as new. I I, I can't believe yeah. it, but 
I will say this, that there was a time in the, you know, in the gaming industry, everyone wears graphic t-shirts. That was a, that was a huge joke, mostly because we were all so poor in games media that we would just be basically wear whatever swag we got from the developers. And then over time, as you started to make a little bit more money, you're like, you know what? I'm going to clean it up. In fact, I remember specifically going to the mall on several trips in like 2008, 2009, 2010, being like, I got to clean this up a little bit. And then <laughs> so, so I started wearing button downs and getting a little more preppy, as it were. And now at 36, I'm just I never leave the house and I'm just right back into T-shirt mode. So yeah. uh, who am I out there to impress? I don't care. <laughs> certainly don't you know you're gonna what are you gonna you're gonna talk shit about me out there anyway yeah full so what does it matter if i wear an islander shirt you don't care yeah, <laughs> anyway good to be here with you guys and uh what, what episode is this 170 we're quite a ways in to uh the run of sacred symbols we're quite a ways in indeed to 2021 there is a lot of news this is a meaty episode and yeah. um just want to remind everyone you can get every episode three days early ad free patreon.com slash last stand media merch Lastdamnmedia.shop. Leave us nice reviews on iTunes. You can follow us on YouTube. Watch video versions there. Uh, Sacred Symbols Plus. By the time this goes live, so let me see. The day after this goes live for patrons, I'm going to do a conversation that will go live with Rick Hogue. We're going to talk about the nature of mergers and acquisitions, how they work. And of course, that is a very timely topic considering what we're going to talk about today and what's going on in the industry. And I don't think a lot of people fully understand how it even functions, including me. Yeah. I have a lot of questions. For instance, people are banding around And we'll talk about it in a little while, perhaps like Microsoft buying a big publisher. Right. And I'm like, I'm not even sure how that works. Like take two is a public company. So you either have to hostily take it over by slowly buying people's shares until you control a, you know, 50 percent plus one. Or you have to offer them money where they publicly take the share money, like they take your offer, whatever amount per share. So. There's like a lot of weeds where it's not just like it's not just money that's exchanged. There's way more to it. And I want to dive into that. So please look forward to Sacred Symbols Plus that episode. And of course, those are exclusive to Patreon for the most part. I don't know what we'll do next week. I have a few other ideas that I want to get into as well. We did a recent call in with Chris. We do call in shows with me, uh, Dustin Mailbags, all the rest. So thank you for joining us over there. More than 12,500 of you by the end of September are supporting us over there concurrently. We're at an all time high. Thank you very much. Not that that means much for me, of course, <laughs> being at an all-time high. <laughs> all right. Now, let's see here. We have quite a few things to get into today. Mm-hmm. And I want to start with a couple of corrections, timely corrections, as we like to do. Remember, you can write into us on Patreon. Stop DMing me on Patreon, unless you have something that's not for the show to say. We can have many conversations. But for the show, use the threads for the appropriate show, or I'm going to strangle you through the computer screen or your speaker. Trent Sinning wrote in and said, what's up, guys? Just wanted to write in with a correction for last week. Last week, you guys said that Darth Vader was a PlayStation exclusive character in Injustice 2 and that Yoda was the Xbox exclusive character. Darth Vader and Yoda were actually in Soul Calibur 4 on the PS3 and Xbox 360. Right. So we were, I don't know, kind of in the same, you know, one's a 3D fighting game, one's a 2D fighting game with 2.5D. But we were in the right genre. Uh, We were within (laughs) five years, I want to say, of being right. So, yeah, not bad. bad. In fairness, like fighting games are not necessarily the uh, specialty of this show. But that was that was totally me. Like, I was like, I think I I guessed injustice because it's like that was the most recent, like 3D good looking fighter that I can remember. And I know it's not like a 3D fighter in the same way that Tekken, you know, and uh you know, virtual fighter are, but like, you know, sure. I don't know. For some reason that made sense to me. It's like, oh yeah, why not throw uh Yoda in with comic book character? It seemed to make more sense than like Soul Calibur because Soul Calibur seems such a like like a 
like a bizarre it, it was like when that halo spartan was thrown into like dead or alive four or something it was like a really oh, weird like yeah. what are you like what are you doing here well i very... feel like that i feel like that wall was broken with soul Calibur 2 in a way though because that was where we had link and remember Hihachi and that whoever is... and spawn you that know is... they... I, I forgot about spawn yeah yeah so, link link and I, I agree i mean i agree with you generally speaking that 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 seems out of place. link and Heihachi link seemed out of place, but least... that was what was fun it was at a place, but at least they were video game characters, you know. Yeah, These are like yeah, sure. movie characters, sure. so like I don't know. But that was that was my that was my bad. Whoops. But um, Whoopsie. no, it's no big deal. I just want to say that maybe it's not as uh, understandable. So I was just looking at the dates: Soul Calibur four, two thousand eight, yeah, and Justice two, two thousand seventeen. So all right, right, maybe not a. Maybe not even in the same ballpark. Thank you, Trent, for writing in. <laughs> Joey Andrzejczyk wrote in with another correction and said, "With all due respect, actually, not really a correction, but a comment." How dare you get mad at the boys for not correcting you about Ghost of Tsushima coming to PC? Last time Dustin tried to correct you about how to pro- pronounce Naruto, you completely disregarded his input and continued to say it incorrectly. So you brought it on yourself, sir. Good day, sir. <laughs> this is true. Uh, but then, but then, Forrest writes in and says, good day, CDC crew. I do not really write in much, but I just have a slight correction I need to comment on. Colin, in last week's episode around the section, you and Dustin talk about some of the reveals for the Nintendo Direct. You mentioned about Yoko Taro's new project in this previous title that was released on PS4. You said Near Reincarnation instead of Near Replicant version. <laughs> Near Reincarnation is actually the mobile game that was released on iOS and Android devices over the summer, which is surprisingly a good mobile game if you are looking for that crazy Yoko Taro storytelling experience. Just needed to comment on that because, because I'm not sure how others would or not. Anyway, that's enough. Thank no, you, Boris. No, no, no. Here's now, the thing, So, Colin. Dustin, I mean, again, where where are you? On, You're, you uh, are see, engaging I just a defense Chris, mechanism right, Chris right now. Hold, hold. I just helped Chris because he said it was weird that those characters were in a Soul Calibur game. And I was like, no, 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 no. Let me just help you here so that no one attacks you. Soul Calibur 2 had these weird characters, right? So I, I jump in as, as un, you know, you don't want to stymie the conversation, but sometimes mm-hmm. you have to, 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 to anticipate right. the blowback. You understand? I'm sorry to interrupt you now, please. So, okay. The reincarnation and replicant come on i mean these words are all gibberish uh, at the end of the day but i honestly did not hear that one at all but well they're now, real Colin, words but i mean yeah, i understand i understand what you i understand exactly what you're saying near is gibberish i love it yeah. uh just yeah. like just like kingdom hearts it just doesn't make sense at the end i mean it makes some sense but not really yeah, now well. colin you try to bring these two in tandem here and i think you're ignoring the greater point about mm. we talked about naruto um and okay. i when he brought this up, when Joey brought this up, I was like, you know what? There is he is right. I think that something's happened to me subconsciously where I have been at, I've made a correction and Colin, you say, uh, OK, can I move on now or something like that? And so maybe I I've, I've been hurt on the inside. I don't yeah. realize. Sure, so, sure, sure. I, I do want to say about. with the Naruto thing or Naruto, right? Naruto. Um, Dustin. How do you say F-R-A-N-C-E? See, the, the defense mecha- mechanism coming right back in. It, you're How do you it's say not F-R-A-N-C-E? How do you say it? Wait. Hold on. So, uh, I, I honestly was F-R-A, the country. F-R-A-N-C-E. France. No. France. You, you, That's how it's actually this said. Is sorry. The defense mechanism. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> how it's actually said. my back. <laughs> we don't anglicize words, apparently. France. So, no, it's France. <laughs> France. The, the that's actually how it's know. said the real listen i you can you can bring up these things the comments have my back right now i know they're here for me now this i'm just reminded of this i have such a passion about this because 
and I think I might have said this on the show in the past. <laughs> Barack Obama used to say Taliban and Pakistan, like Taliban and Pakistan, right? But not any other word he ever said. And then, and I'm like, why are you doing that? Then it stopped for a while, and now I heard some people doing it again recently, and I'm like, it's okay to anglicize words. That's what we do. We do it with everything. We're speaking largely Latin, you know. That's been that's been drawn through time and stretched through countries, <laughs> and you know. I so that's my argument. Here's Naruto the thing: no one says the anglicization that. No, no one of says Naruto. Naruto. No, <laughs> no, they don't say Naruto. This is a bad argument. No one says Naruto. <laughs> Just I like Man ne- of Medan. I have oh, never yeah. I have never heard you put on an accent like that and it was really jarring. Uh, was Just really here's the thing, Colin. Yeah. Since since you engage your defense mechanism, I'm gonna sure. give in to mine and just Please. ask the audience what they think about how you say compass. Compass. Oh uh, yeah, you, you're let them know, wrong. people. Let them know. But I also I'll, I'll just listen, I'll just say this and say like if I was there, I would have I would have caught that. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been sure. so obvious to me. Sure. I would have been like, hey, you're talking about the mobile game, the near mobile game that I know everything about, idiot. Sure. sure. That and game I, is I not very good in. either. Well, this is why we need you here. Yeah. We can't always rely on Dustin's acumen to uh, keep us in line. But uh, Dustin, I appreciate it nonetheless. <laughs> Bruh. Far injured at the beginning of the show. I'm trying to, I gotta, before we build you up, we have to tear you down. I mean, this is classic, right? I mean, that's the way it has to go. Wow. You have to unlearn everything so you can learn it again. This is a new. This is sacred speak of some kind, like a new. It's a new language. Fox hop smash, guys. I have a tale of what I would consider betrayal, and I want to know what you think of this. Fox hop smash wrote in and said, "Hello, Sea Dogs and Dustin. I'm behind in episodes, and I finally caught up to the four-hour PlayStation Showcase show, which was fantastic. Thank you. I would like to formally apologize to the writer Brandon, whose fly was down for the pictures with the boys. I was in front of him and could have probably saved him." My wife noticed it before me because she was actually helping him take photos, but by the time she told me, it was too late. So I am sorry, Brandon. Hope your fly is up now. Might want to check just in case. Thank you for writing in, Fox Hop Smash. Chris, what do you think? I mean, this seems... This is audacious. I mean, if you're in a group where... You're more... It's not like... You're not in public. Even... Let me give you an example. You're at Yankee Stadium. Someone... As you're on the concourse, someone's like, hey, can you take a quick picture for me? You snap a picture or while you're snapping a picture you notice the fly is down do you just snap the picture and hand it back to them? i mean me personally as awkward as that is even a stranger in a fifty thousand person stadium i'd be like your fly is down i hate to tell you you know so yeah. isn't that kind of a similar thing how did he not save this man well i don't get it i don't know it's not like people everybody's going commando you know sure. I, I would if somebody if you know if something like if that was the situation then i would have said something but I don't know if I, I don't know. It's like big deal. Your fly is undone. Ooh, the big mm. secret's out. You're mm. wearing underwear. You know, like, ah, whatever. Who cares? I don't care. I probably wouldn't have said anything, you know, because now we have a, you see, now the difference is now we have a story. That's true. You know, oh, that's and true. if I, if I had saved him, he wouldn't have this story and it wouldn't be a funny little circumstance. Also, you mm. can crop photos. Like, come on. Does mm. anybody really need to see your pelvis? Hmm. In like a, like, I don't know, like just, it's, it's your face, right? You want like to be seen wherever the hell you are. That's why selfies, nobody goes like, oh, hey, here's a selfie. And it's them from the pelvis up like a psycho, (laughs) you know? I will, I will say, what is that? Do you guys know the guy on Twitter? He might be on other social media too, that you send him pictures that you want, he want, you want like fixed in some way. And then he fixes them, but like very (laughs) literally, do you know what I'm talking about? 
Yeah, it, I don't know. It's like it's like a dude who like, it would be like, you know, can you can you take my boyfriend's hat off his head or whatever? And it's like, but they like take it really literally and like remove his whole head and like, but it's like beautifully done. Yeah. If anyone knows what I'm talking about out there, I'm sure some of you do. It's it's awesome, and that's what it reminds me of is that's this guy's doing like real hard labor. This seems like a trivial, like you said, cropping situation. I could even handle that, but Dustin, I saw you react to this. Yeah, and I'm curious well, what you make of this. I mean, I Chris is an agent of chaos. I understand what he what he means when he says he want you know you got a story now. This butterfly effect is in motion. We've stepped on the bug, etc. Sure, but I feel like there's another reality in which this because this is going to be a thing he cringes about for the rest of his life. You know how you have those things that you've done that you never forget about, and mm-hmm. you'll always wonder, even though no one else thinks about it. I feel like that's going to be one of those things for him now, and that's. What is, what, who is this again? Fox so, Hop Smash. Fox Hop Smash is one of my most loyal Twitch viewers. Um, so this is someone I know and that I, I spoke to during this. I remember this interaction with him. And just to, to be clear about this comment here, he says his wife noticed it before me, but it was too late by the time the photo happened. So the question is then about Fox Hop Smash's wife. Now, I don't we don't we don't know. Uh, this woman, we don't know much about her. She may have been in an uncomfortable situation. You know, she's at the this thing for her husband. There's a bunch of dorks there. Uh, her husband <laughs> is excited to meet a bunch of dorks, and it might just be an uncomfortable situation. And so maybe she's already feeling, um, you know, uncomfortable. And so to to make that step to tell a man who is already in a tense situation, he's meeting someone that, you know, He's a listener of our podcast. Maybe she didn't want to I embarrass him, him in front him of nervous. us. It's, it's fine. You can say that. I make him a little nervous. Yeah, maybe, maybe this okay. man was a little nervous. So yeah. the question then, I think Fox needs to talk to his wife and then write into us about her. We need to hear her side uh, sure. of why she didn't say anything. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I think the story is yet to be fully uncovered and like a true crime pro- podcast which this sometimes I guess now will be we'll, <laughs> sure. get, into, we'll get involved in, in solving this mystery. I'm still waiting to hear back from the man who shit himself. Where are you? Someone find him. Yeah. Find his the Twitter man account. Who shit himself on the date. We had multiple. I need an update. Do you have a little shit babies now running around or something like that? It's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> shit babies. <laughs> Has it been that long? I mean, it's been long enough. I would say that where, where they could have popped one out by now. Yeah. Maybe not running around, but certainly. Yeah, existing. definitely not like sprinting around like Usain <laughs> yeah. Bolt. Yeah. But, but certain they could certainly exist at this point, no yeah. doubt. All right, let's see here. Oh, you know, there's one more kind of we got to put another period on something here. Matthew Novak wrote in and said, "Hey CDC, I've been a fan for years, but have never written in before. I was watching the recording of the live show on Patreon, and it came. Oh yeah, we we didn't. I got to talk about that in a minute. And came across something so disrespectful <laughs> that I just had to write in the crime." Collins' dismissal of Dustin's bidet. Yes. I'm a proud Michigander, so I haven't grown up with bidets like those people across the pond. But ever since I got a bidet in late 2019, I feel like I've entered an elite society. I now look down upon people with bidets as dirty. I would gladly give up both my Series X and PS5 if my bidet brethren told me to. So, Colin, I think you should reconsider your stance and join the club of elite people like Dustin and I who voluntarily shoot water up our asses. There's so much uniquely European about this. And I want to I really want to get in. I don't you know what? I don't want to get more deeper into that. So let me just I kick do. it over to you, uh, Dustin. Do you take as much offense as Matthew does? Because I'm, I'm just going to reiterate. I want to reiterate one more time. I've never used a bidet, even though they've been available to me when I've gone to Europe, when I've gone to Asia, et cetera. And now, you know, 
in various people's houses. Dustin's certainly not the first person I've known in the, in the States that had a bidet. But the water is spraying upward, and then it comes back down on top of the thing that's spraying. And I feel like it's, there's something not right about it. There's something not right about it. And it's why we don't do it in the United States. Because only things that happen that make sense happen in the United States, <laughs> as we all know. <laughs> Dustin, I'd like to defend yourself. Defend, uh, present my defense here. Uh, first of all, Josh sounds a, a bit of, a, of an elitist here. Um, oh, wait, not Josh. This is Matthew. Josh is the yeah. next right in. We haven't gotten to Josh yet. Josh, uh, Josh, I'm sorry. Matthew, you know, first of all, he doesn't make a good case because he says shooting water up our asses. And that is simply not the case. Hmm. Uh, water should not enter the asshole uh, with, and during a bidet session. <laughs> but here's the thing, Colin, about about the, the proper defense. You're saying that. The water, okay, for the video, the video podcast here, this is essential. You're imagining that the sprayer is directly below the anus, that it protrudes out from below the toilet. That is simply not the case. There is an angle going on. So there's the back of the toilet. It comes, it's just a little tiny nozzle that comes out and then it sprays at an angle up towards your asshole. And then the water then proceeds down into the toilet. So Do you there's wipe first. No, you wipe after you to wipe dry after. things off after and just to, to, you know, double check everything. But here's the thing about the, the here's my stance. If you if you don't want to use a bidet, that's 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 fine. Yeah, I know this is the meme argument, uh, but I, it must be presented. If you got poop on your arm, would you wipe it off with a dry towel and then move on with your life? No, I, I understand that, which is where I think the wet wipe comes in the adult mm. wet wipe the normalization of the adult pipes. wet wipe in the last 15 years or so which was not a thing when i was a kid like i'm sure they probably existed but no one had wipes in their house for fucking adults and now like it's right. yeah. a thing that be so i feel like that's really ameliorated the situation although i agree with you it is weird but i feel like it is a bit of a stopgap in some way until you how much how distant can you be from a shower and I'm not saying literally, but rather figuratively in time, right? You poop right. at two o'clock, you go home and you take a shower at night, maybe seven o'clock, you're five hours distant. So just you're getting rid of the essence of it and the rest, the, the micro, the microbes and all of that, that might linger. Those go later, you know, that's just reality. But then if you're having a really what I would call a heinous or catastrophic shit, you might use a wet wipe, but sure. you, you know, to, to finish things up. So I understand what you're saying. I totally agree with that point. You're arguing but, that you're okay with the essence of poop lingering, and that's no big deal. Which I'm, it, I'm arguing that I think we were okay with that for a long time. Yes. Sure. And then I think, and what I'm saying is that I think the wet wipe has <laughs> ameliorated that. Yeah, upped, right. the, upped the upped mm. the game, as it were. Right. Because yeah, like, the, if you're if you're a foot away from <laughs> no, let's if keep you're a going. foot away from my ass, right? I'd love to. And I had just shit like 10 minutes prior. I don't think you're going to smell anything, but if you get all up in it, of course you're going to smell shit. <laughs> Just like if you were to walk past a person and you don't smell anything, but then you put your face in their armpit and they smell like BO. Mm. It's no different. Like, so that's my <laughs> counter to your counter. You know, I, 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 but I get it. See, 
I've said many times, I've taken poops so horrifying that I get right into the shower. And I do that on a pretty regular basis, but I also have the advantage of working from home. True. So this is a multifaceted situation, but I just don't, in private settings, I don't really mind it so much, but there's just something off about me being at Tokyo Game Show and there being bidets oh. there. You know, like, I'm sorry. Like, I just, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. I like the heated seat. I, I feel but like so would... too is the seat heated by the person that went there before you. Chris. Oh, God, oh. I feel like it's almost weirder that you're fine with it in private circumstances, because mm. in your own home, mm. you're the toilet's like right next to the shower, you know? So like, but in like a public setting, you're not even anywhere near a shower unless you're at like That's a true. gym or something. That's true. That actually makes more sense for a bidet to make more sense in public than it does in your own home. Hmm. I see. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm unsure about this public bidet. I've never come across one uh, here in the states, like seeing one. So I don't know what I would do in that situation. I I feel like I'm in agreement with you there, Colin. I think we found some common ground that the mm. the public bidet may be a no go. I'm at the point where I don't use the public hand dryers, like the the ones that shoot air oh, yeah. out. Yeah, those like suck yeah. up piss crystals and stuff. You can't we can't be using those piss, piss crystals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, there's that real? Yeah, I saw a guy. (laughs) I saw a guy on TikTok do the test, like the particle test. Like he ran, he put the swab under the thing, and then it came back, and it was disgusting. And uh, they're not sanitary. I can't get out of my head that using a bidet is like sitting on a sprinkler after you take a shit, and it's like a really (laughs) off-putting. It's like a really off-putting image. I was worried I'd feel the same way until I tried it. Ah well. Try something different. God help us. We've lost the plot here. The general, I think the general agreement though is just clean your butt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't be a don't be a filthy, um, stinky, slovenly imbecile. You know, like actually, like you know, keep but your I hygiene. That there, I do think that there is this thought amongst some Europeans, some cosmopolitan Europeans, let's say that like there's just heinous poop crimes going on in the United States, and I just want to assure you that there is no poop crime. No. Occurring here. We have the poop crime. The only crime poop crime on is the poop on San Francisco streets. That's exactly that's poop it. Cr- that's poop crime. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Now let's get to Josh, Josh J. Anderson. Man, I almost lost myself to that conversation. Greetings, Colin, Chris, Dustin, and potential Shinji too. Nope, not this week. <laughs> I just saw the post from Colin on my timeline, quote tweeting a PlayStation fanboys edited video of the last episode of Sacred Symbols to make it fit their console loyalty agenda. Obviously, it was absurd seeing people go to such lengths to twist the narrative in the name of corporate entities, but I don't. But it made me wonder. I'm sorry, how this ridiculous console war became worse than past generations. I don't recall people getting popular on social media from being corporate simps back when the PS4 and Xbox One released. It was simply just children bashing their heads together in YouTube comment sections. Nothing as extreme as what we see today. So I ask your thoughts on what it could be to, uh, that helped contribute to console fanboys being worse or this gen- or this generation than they ever have been f- before. Is it just the growing rise of social media clout? Or am I just misremembering, I'm sorry, I'm speaking poorly today, how present these people were back then. Take care, boys, and keep on fucking that chicken. We will, Josh. Thank you. So I wanted to bring this up because I think it's important. Mm -hmm. And 
I feel like, I don't know. I feel like we have to have a conversation with the audience about something. I think people that listen to this show know full well that this is not a fanboyish show. Yeah. It's, not, it's just not. I'm sorry. I don't care like what kind of preconceived notions you have or what kind of out of context things you want to take away from four hour podcasts and all of that. No one is harder on PlayStation than this show. And no one, I don't say no one, but I would imagine few, if any, PlayStation centric programs have been as complimentary to Xbox as this show has been throughout its entire run, Mm -hmm. going all the way back to 2018 when Xbox, in my opinion, really started to turn the corner. I think any representation otherwise of the things we say and do on this show are dishonest and are done for dishonest reasons. And I don't want to engage and interact with that. And the video that was going around recently wasn't, it's not this heinous thing. I'm using the word heinous a lot. But rather, it's this situation where things are twisted just so, omitted just enough to make it seem that the essence of something is different than what it really was. And I encourage people to go on Twitter and look at the video I posted and then the video that was circulating with the three of us in it and tell me if, because some people, there's so many people that are full of shit. It's not, and it's not any different. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You have to be dense as a dying fucking neutron star to not see the difference in that. <laughs> and you have to be dumb as rocks to not understand that these kinds of things are circulated to get a new kind of clout on social media, which is this toxic fanboy clout. And it costs right. these anonymous people nothing to do that. But it actually costs us a great deal because it misrepresents us. It misrepresents our opinions, our views, our show, our audience, and our history, the tenor of our entire programming. And it's done intentionally. And I don't care if it's done saying, look at how great Sacred Symbols is. You're not a fan of this show. You're no fan of mine. And I don't want your money, your fandom, or your time if you're going to misrepresent us like that. You want to know why? Because it puts us in a battle we didn't ask to be in, that we don't participate in on our own show. And really, the reason I said anything at all was because, Dustin, I saw your tweet to David Jaffe saying, because Jaffe's dealing with the same fanboyish nonsense, saying, you know, my, my mentions have been ruined over the last few days because of this just totally out of context video. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I have to, as the leader of this ordeal, I have to, <laughs> that we call a show, I have to say something. And so I just wanted to say that you have to be listening to a different show to think that we're that this is like you know playstation fanboy central yeah i mean i'm sorry (laughs) yeah it's it's just it's just comical and any misrepresentation of us to make it seem like that injures us and if you don't get that and you call yourself a fan you're not and that's really all i have to say about the situation it's that simple i don't want to participate in that kind of stuff Saying to me that you can't truncate a 15-minute conversation to a two-minute Twitter video means you shouldn't truncate a 15-minute clip to two minutes. Dipshits. Is it really that complicated? Stop being the problem. And I know that it's not most of the audience, but there are people out there that think they're doing us favors by injecting us into this, and you're not. Chris? No, I mean, mean, like, I've been completely, like, not paying attention to this i only know about this because i like i, I happened to catch um dustin's stream when he was going over some of the videos 
I was like, wait a second. This is like a conversation. that's. Ha- I had no idea. Uh, I also don't really check my mentions on Twitter, really. But just so many of these videos are like the fact that, it, first of all, the fact that it was a Twitter clip of like an edited down conversation of an even larger, you know, two hour plus podcast misses so much context to the point where it's borderline misinformation, even if it is just us speaking. Because like I, I saw every video that I saw about this and it wasn't that many it was like three or so they were, they were like they would never say the same thing if sony you know acquired square enix and literally in that conversation i can't remember if it was before or i can't remember if it was after i think it might have been literally both we said no this would be a bad thing if sony acquired square enix as well though i remember those words verbatim being said so the fact that like everybody just jumped on this clip without even trying to, like, find the source material and, like, actually go through the real argument is disconcerting. And I do think it shows a deeper symptom of the problem of, of kind of content creation right now, where, it's, where it's, it's very easy to monetize loyalty in a way that it really hasn't been. I think the last four or five years have been very, you know, divisive and, you know, very... I don't know the word antagonistic, right? Mm. In general, in the realm of politics, and even even just beside that, like even in entertainment, it's like very weird. Little th- little things happen, like oh hey, uh, this incredible director thinks Marvel movies aren't cinema, and that's like a huge deal for some reason, even though it's just one guy's opinion. The fact that the most extreme opinions get the most attention is what motivates people to take normal non-controversial opinions and twist them into something extreme and it's deeply annoying and i don't know if there's really a way to avoid that i think that's just the 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 environment that we're in but i would agree that you know it doesn't help the show when you make us seem that way because that's not what we do you know we've complimented xbox so much it's hilarious I yeah, I, think, I mean, I think that they're doing better, a better job in many ways. I mean, how how explicit do we have to be? <laughs> I have yeah. I've tweeted like fifty times probably over the last couple days about how good Halo is. You know what? It, 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 is a right. PlayStation like fanboy show? Come on, guys! It's insane, that, right? And that's and I, I'm glad you reiterated what I'm mad about with like just dipshitted people that choose to act like this online yeah. it's not most of our audience i would assume i mean the thing is is that we're not even talking to almost anyone in, on in our audience except for people on the very periphery because yeah you have to be willfully lying to people and it's like you said making a whole video and without going to the source and seeing what was actually said uncut i mean there were there were a couple cuts in that video that are literally like seconds long and it's in linear order but mm. when you remove a, mu- a bunch of context it's like you're it's like you're cutting a sentence in half. Yeah. Don't do that to us. It's just not right. It's not fair. And like I said, what really got me incensed about it was seeing how it because I'm like, I don't know, I, I, I'm 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 older than you guys. And I've been around this space a lot longer and I've been attacked for so much that I'm kind of just at, at some point I'm like, eh. but when I saw it's almost like a fatherly thing when I saw Dustin kind of being like this, suck, I'm like, you know what? Let me jump in. Dustin, what do you have to say? So, I mean, I feel like it's 
framing your content around console wars is low hanging fruit. Oh yeah. And it really says something uh about the content you make. And so I don't know, it's just it's kind of embarrassing honestly, I feel like for a lot of this stuff. Like I I wanted to take a I don't I don't, it's to me it wasn't even a bad situation. It was just a situation. It's like okay, this is kind of annoying. But uh, the real fans know and whatever. And you know what? I saw a couple arguments that took some things we said and did use the full context. And I was like, okay, that's cool to disagree with us and try to make a, uh, a counterpoint. You know, I, I, I have a, I have to have the context of this is a market leader show. Right. And so with that, we're going to see people make, subcontent about what we do that's something i was saying on my stream that is so ironic and funny to me is that like there's prime content video games then there's like content about content that's sacred symbols right and now our show which i mean maybe this is just the nature of the beast on how much the show has grown and how i mean dominating it is in this space is that there is like content about content about content and that's what console war content is. Mm. And you can do better than that. Because as soon as one of these ships sink, or as soon as the tide goes a different way, people don't care. They're not watching your content for you or your opinions. They just want to hear someone that is saying the things that they agree with. And it's just really sad, honestly. So yeah. I I'm, I think it's good that we're like addressing this now because this is the first time that something like this major has happened to our show. It surely will not be the last. Like no yeah. doubt. Like people, uh, people see us as some kind of like fanboy ringleaders here. Like, and I yeah, have no idea how we've gained this. But like, I don't know. What do you guys feel about like? Okay, we're addressing this now, but like, we can address people on Twitter if misinformation happens. But like, I'm almost at the point. that's like, okay, here we are. We're addressing it, and we're never going to mention it again because that's how little we think of this content. Yeah, I think, well, I love the way you put it. You know what it reminds me of is I was a huge Howard Stern fan back in the day, and they used to do a show like that was about the show after the show was over. It right. Was like, you know, like interns and producers and stuff. It was cool. And that's what it reminds you of. It's a meta level, a further one level fo down of, of content that covers the content that in this case covers the content, just like Howard Stern was covering content because he was covering life. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know that we have to like go after everyone, but I see this particular. First of all, I didn't watch any of the videos that are out there. Just like I didn't read any of the reviews for our games because it's just, well, actually Harboxia 2. So I'm like, I just can't deal with it anymore. But even though we have an eight on Metacritic, so no big deal. But I feel like there is. There is at the periphery. This loss of reality of like you said what the show is and i don't want to encourage that from bleeding into our audience because that's not what we've cultivated here and that's why only really outside people that clearly don't listen to the show twist our words and do all these kinds of things to make it seem like because you 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 admit it when you when you have a video clip of of me saying harsh things about microsoft without saying with a mirror of me complimenting them in the between that and then saying the same thing about sony you do that on purpose right mm -hmm. and that's all there is to it so 
I ju- I do want to talk about that just because it's it's important for us to continue to cultivate something. I, I we get letters and DMs and etc. every day from people saying this is a great community. Thank you so much for being welcoming. It's we're finding great people here, etc. and so on. We don't want this shit in our community. And um I'm not afraid to say it and they're doing the same stuff to defining duke as well. And uh we have to just continue, I think, to make examples of people when necessary. But I don't think we have to do it all the time. But if you re- if, if we keep, if we get heat about something you took out of context, then even if people are like, oh, the context isn't the same, I'm still going to I'm still going to tweet what what was said so that people can at least see if they're curious. And to the point, we got many a message, many a tweet from people being like, yeah, I was wrong. I didn't see the full context, et cetera, and so on. So we did change heart and minds, hearts and minds by swinging back and every once in a while i think you have to swing back at the bully yeah right that's just that's just my take all right uh let's get into more pertinent things here we're going to talk more about xbox in a moment but before we do i have original reporting um and it's only original because the games industry media is is lazy or ignoring this story but um a user a listener rather of this show reached out to me he's from hong kong and he plays fifa and he typically makes his name stand with HK, which he's been using, I guess, for a few years on there. And he sent me a video, which I tweeted out, and you guys can check it out. It's from September 25th, so it was a while ago. But he uh, he basically shows a video about how the game EA's game now spits that name back, and it says um, the entry is filtered because it may be used to offend or harass other players. <laughs> so a little bit of original reporting about the continued erosion of, I don't know, I don't want to say freedom of expression, but kowtowing and appeasing totalitarians to keep their markets open to your games now continuing on with FIFA, although FIFA has been a place that this has happened with other things as well. And the more pertinent thing I want to talk about right now, and I want to kick it over to you first, Chris, because I saw you actually tweet about this. Um, Mm -hmm. And this happened almost like a week ago by the time we're recording, but it's just bad timing for our show. The initiative, the so-called quadruple A studio that Xbox founded back in 2018, I want to say now, announced not even in a post but in just a couple of tweets that they're partnering with crystal dynamics a square enix owned ostensibly third party to microsoft or to sony or to nintendo developer to work on perfect dark with them and this was you said in your tweet this is baffling and i agree now this caused a lot of consternation simply because some people are like well this happened in the past i mean 21 years ago, Capcom made two Zelda games. Don't you remember? I'm like, yeah, I, I do remember. Like, yes, you're right. But it's incredibly unusual. And yeah, I'm curious what you make of this from both angles, because I actually think it says a lot more about Crystal even than it says about the initiative. But what do you make of them collaborating on a perfect dark? And, and what do you have to say about it? Yeah, so it's it's just baffling to me, not in the sense that it's unusual that studios, you know, work in tandem on projects. Obviously, like plenty of stu- like I-, I can't even count how many studios worked on Destiny Two. Like throughout its life, it's-, it's a hilarious amount of studios. And I understand that that's like a thing that happens. It's just that usually that kind of thing is not necessarily announced in such a like fanfareish. It's not usually like, hey, we're excited to partner with, you know. I don't know, some random developer to to bring this game to life. It's usually something that happens in development, like just sort of in the background, just like during production. And it's not necessarily like this huge like announcement. I don't even know why you would necessarily announce that. 
and that was really the baffling part of it, just the fact that it was worthy of an announcement at all from the studio. And then that it's Crystal Dynamics, you know, a third party, you know, that in and of itself was weird because, you know, Xbox is first party and like it's it's just a... And what does Crystal Dynamics know about making first-person shooters? Like, it's just very—it's just a very strange partnership to me. I get that, like, Quadruple A probably doesn't mean anything. I think we've all been saying that for a while. I yeah, but it's, it's just hysterical. They're the ones who said it. I wouldn't yeah. even be surprised if it was literally, like, a typo, and they were like, whoops. <laughs> I've heard people say that, but I don't think that it is. It might be. I haven't though. heard anybody say that. I have but... heard that claimed. <laughs> that it was like a misspeaker typo but i'm like no i, I wouldn't be so. surprised because it's like what does that even really mean but it's just confusing to me because i just don't think it's like an announcement worthy thing i don't think crystal is like really like an exciting studio to work on a first person shooter and i think it's just bizarre that like a third party developer is working with a first party entity to bring a first party game to market it's just a very strange thing and i'm sure things like this have happened but that doesn't make it any less like I don't know. That doesn't make it any less strange to me, especially when the initiative, again, touted as a quadruple A studio, should be able to either get this done by themselves or at least with other studios in the Xbox first party or like more dedicated support studios that exist. So I I just I don't understand this partnership at all. Right. Well, I should be clear because you're right. And I should be clear to the point or that clarity is so important. We were just talking. Yeah, about yeah, it. yeah. That yes, like seven teams, I think, or something like that worked on The Last of Us Part Two. Right. The point is, is that you don't announce that. You find right. that out in the credits. And often games are done totally ghost. Mm-hmm. Happens all the time. There are studios of hundreds of people that you've never heard of that not only contract work and stuff, but make entire games, basically. Yeah. And then do it under a label. And then there's this other thing that's happening where we talked about it with Bethesda, actually, back in the day. Where everyone's like, look, Avalanche and it are working together. And I'm like, no, they're not. Avalanche made that game. <laughs> you know, it's just like Bethesda Game Studios and, and the Austin team. It's like Beth- Bethesda Game Studios didn't make fucking Fallout 76. And so it, it's there's like an obfuscation there, too. But it's usually done with third parties on third parties. So that was Bethesda before they were first party. Yeah. And then obviously these relationships occur mostly in second party. So that's that's another thing. But you're absolutely right. That was the weird thing to me, too, from the Crystal standpoint. And I'll dr- throw it over to Dustin here was I was like, Crystal Dynamics, very talented studio. Microsoft has a history with them. The lead of the initiative used to run that studio. So there's obvious connections there. Yeah. But they don't make shooters. So wh- wh- I was thinking about that. I'm like, they, they're not a shooter team. Perfect Dark is going to be a shooter. I don't know if you want to say Lara Croft is kind of in that mix, maybe. But Dustin, the thing I was thinking about with, and this, I don't know, this is conspiratorial, but Square Enix can't be very happy with Crystal Dynamics. Now, that that might be Square Enix's fault. They greenlight the games, they fund the games, they produce the games, all of that. But I can't help but wonder if they're being rented out to make some money. And that was the big thing that I saw when I saw that. I'm like, oh, Crystal Dynamics is fucked because they made Avengers. and now they need to get that guaranteed money and Square Enix is interested in that guaranteed money and they've used perfect or I'm sorry uh Crystal in the past for that guaranteed money remember that what was it Rise of the Tomb Raider was Xbox exclusive for a limited time so they That's got right. that guaranteed money Avengers just went to PS Now now it's on Game Pass so they want that guaranteed money 
So am I, is my conspiracy theory right here? I feel like this is the essence, the magic. I'm using that word a lot today, too. The magic of this deal is actually in Crystal Dynamics trying to make some money for Square. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, the thing that's just so odd about this entire situation is that I've seen a lot of takes of people saying like, oh, well, uh, support studios or studios have that make games and then have support studios helping them all the time. Look at The Last of Us. There was 14 support studios on Look that. Look at every AAA game. I mean, that, that, again, right, yeah, yeah. not the point. Crystal yeah. Dynamics is not a support studio. They are like a full-fledged developer that just made a game for the Avengers, which is like probably the biggest IP in pop culture right now. Now, of course, the game ended up not being uh, quite what people were hoping it for it to be. But this is just an odd thing to happen at all like i'm trying to think if it's like if sony had a a, a random third party not someone from their list of first party teams helping them with a game it just this isn't something you would normally expect it it, it would be like if hey the last of us factions coming to you uh in partnership with rockstar yeah what yeah it would be you and you might think that that's cool. I mean, I think some yeah. people saw this and were like, Crystal Dynamics is great. And I would be like, yeah, I, I have no problem with Crystal Dynamics working on Perfect Dark. The question is, and it really has no relevance to our show, but it's just out of curiosity. What is the initiative? Is it right. supposed to be an ex-dev like unit that is producing games and ideas that they then seed? Or are they supposed to be a team? Because people are like, well, it takes time to get a team off the ground and, you know, get get shit going and i'm like guys they were founded in 2018 they should be well into their project at this point this it's almost the end of 2021 yeah 1920 even if you just say 2018 was just getting everyone in the building 19 20 21 three years you should yeah. be you shouldn't be hiring a team to help you at this point and right so it, i again it is it's very similar not to get political we brought this up just because i think it's a great example when Joe Biden was arguing about the Afghanistan situation, saying, what, what do you want me to do? Send another generation of boys and, you know, our men and women to die. And it's like, no one's saying that, Joe. And it's a very similar thing here where it's like no one is actually arguing the things people are saying they're arguing about this. All people are saying is this is strange. Mm-hmm, it's not strange yeah. for teams to work together. It's strange that you would announce it. It's strange that Crystal Dynamics would be one of those teams working in support. And it's it's interesting, of course. Yeah. And it's oh, that's why they announced it so that you wouldn't find out. Right. <laughs> yeah, Dude, yeah. And they announced it like during a Nintendo direct, which is like, uh, you know, in the evening, right around. And I can't remember if it was during or directly after a Nintendo direct. And I think that another element of the strangeness, Colin, of why I think, you know, it's a perfectly reason. It's perfectly reasonable to raise an eyebrow to this is the fact that Microsoft was saying this is a quadruple a studio it's like you went on the limb to try to make this sound you know like amazing this huge studio that's taking gaming one one a further with quadruple yeah, a yeah. now we're and in the quadruple this. a space so i think they yeah. kind of played themselves on it's that just, one it's just so strange because you'd expect something like you know saber interactive you know which is like a very really you know a, a pretty renowned support studio they've worked on a lot of stuff they worked on like halo and like call of duty like they like they, they exist and they actually have a lot of experience with shooters you know so it almost would make more sense it's just the nature of this like the third party nature of of uh the third party nature of square uh, not square enix um 
the initial uh, what the fuck I'm getting all mixed up Crystal now. Crystal yeah. and just the fact that I think what baffled me the most is just the announcement like you don't gotta you don't gotta like it's, it's well it's, I, it's, I think uh, to me it seemed the reason another reason it was strange was because it seemed half-hearted if yeah. you want to like embrace this and say like this is a big thing write a big blog post have a video interview yeah it was just a maybe Twitter have post. A, it, yeah like have Phil doing something like whatever but this was like 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 we said kind of like oh by the way that way when the news comes out later about what's actually happening with this game one way or the other it's not a surprise and that's why i said they state they're saying this so it doesn't leak because if they if it leaks then they lose control of the narrative and they're never going to get it back so at least until the game comes out maybe it's great Mm -hmm. but we'll see what happens but there's no doubt that they must be disappointed that the initiative is and i i knew a couple people that work there you know so it's an interesting place it was right in santa monica i used to live right there all right, a couple other things. Sony owns Evo now, of course, fighting game tournament. Evo 2021 showcase canceled, says on uh, their social media feeds in part, quote, the goal of the Evo showcase is to bring together the best players from around the world in a live in-person format. Due to the continuing complication of COVID and the spread of the Delta variant, we have made the tough decision to cancel the Evo 2021 showcase, end quote. So next year, presumably that will be back. I still think that's a wise and uh, a wise investment. Also, I want to point out that games uh, industry.biz is doing this. I don't know, like live show series of interviews, etc. You actually have to pay for entry for di- digitally. So I'm not doing that, but I'm sure a bunch of news will come out of it. But two things you might want to keep an eye on is Jim Ryan is giving an interview. And I think the more interesting interview is Jade Raymond. And her talk is specifically apparently about founding a studio during the pandemic with PlayStation or like with their money and all of that. They're, they're essentially a second party. So keep an eye out for that as well. I also wanted to note uh, just in passing that Activision revealed that they have settled uh, their U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission claim for $18 million. I'm not even going to pretend or have us talk about this any further. We'll consult with Hogue when the time is right. But I wanted to point that out in case you guys are curious. So that is con- continuing a pace. And then I wanted to get into some Netflix related stuff, uh, which is a surprise. First of all, it was announced that The Witcher is getting more shows. So season three of The Witcher live action show, second anime feature film in addition to the first one and a new kids and family series yeah. set in the world of The Witcher. I don't know what the hell that's all about. But the bigger thing coming out of, out of Netflix is that they purchased a studio and Brisk E7926 wrote in about this and said, hey, crew, how do you all feel about Netflix acquiring Night School Studio? I found it a curious one, but one that felt uh, appropriate nonetheless, seeing that Night School is known for their narrative driven titles. What future studios do you think Netflix would be looking to partner with or even acquire in the future? Hope you all have a wonderful week. So this is the first studio that Netflix has gone out and acquired, and it's ratchet, ratcheted up in a major way again the acquisition wars as we have another big entity now throwing money around. I was disappointed to see this. And I think that this is inevitable. I don't really care about night school studios. I just think it signals just another gargantuan money hog fucking everything up. So uh, Dustin, what did you make of this particular purchase? Yeah, it's interesting just because Netflix has only slightly dabbled in games and it's very much in a netflix way like they have the weird version of minecraft story mode that you can Mm. play but it's not really it's just like kind of like it's almost like a dvd game if you guys remember those when yeah during the the heyday of of dvds but 
I'll be curious to see how this ties into the rumors that we've seen as well. Uh, rumors about them getting involved with PlayStation, right? We've we've seen the the back end stuff with Ghost of Tsushima, and now we see them buying a uh, development team with um, Night School Studios, and so it's clear that they are starting to make investment in games and. I wonder just what the landscape now is going to look like in five or 10 years, just because with not only is Netflix investing now, but lately uh, new world from Amazon has been mm. huge. And you got to wonder for them, man, they really have been striking out. I was really happy yeah. for them to see that. Honestly. They finally shipped a game, but you got to wonder that once, other companies start to see Netflix gearing up to enter if they're going to be like, yeah, now's our time uh, that if the industry is going to get shaken up, we want to be a part of it. I've always wondered if someone like Apple could get involved, like could Apple enter the games industry as well, since they have so much infrastructure, so much uh, goodwill already with their customers. But I think that this is the beginning of a new era. Mm -hmm. What do you make of it, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think you're going to start seeing a lot more of this type of thing. I think uh, I do think you're probably going to see something um, in the realm of you know Apple coming in and maybe like acquiring, but maybe not anything soon necessarily. But definitely, like definitely in the next you know in this decade, I think you'll see a lot of this. Where like, hey, Netflix got this. Hey, Amazon has this. Hey, Apple has this. Hey, uh, you know, Dyson vacuums acquired uh you know <laughs> this indie studio for some fucking reason <laughs> I, I do Dyson think because there's a lot of money in games now and a lot more than there i think used to be especially with d d the fact that a free-to-play game like fortnite make made as much money as it did i think has everybody's attention um and i think everybody's like trying to get a part a part of that pie night school does make sense for Netflix, admittedly, I'm, I'm glad Definitely. Netflix. I, mean, I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm glad. Uh, a, you know, an entity like Netflix didn't buy like I don't know Avalanche. You know what I mean, <laughs> or something, or yeah, something. Just like I think Microsoft's going to buy them. Yeah, well, we'll see. But that's yeah, that's that's my prediction there. But yeah, yeah. You, you're night. You're right on that. Night School does make sense. I mean, it's not like some weird uh, like kinetic game team. Yeah, they yeah. make oxen free and after party. And by the way, the good news is, and this was an important thing I thought was oxen free two is still coming to PS4 and PS5 in 2022. And Netflix is going to be the publisher. So that'll be a pretty interesting cross pollination. It's also coming to other consoles. So they will be the publisher everywhere. But I wonder if Netflix will gobble up teams and kind of let them do a little bit of both. I don't think that they have any reason to do that. And I think the only reason that Oxenfree 2 is going to come to consoles is because it's all the way done, basically, at, at this point, I'm sure. Content complete. Yeah, yeah. But I wish Night School the best. I, I I don't know that it's any great loss to another rival publisher, but it just it just signaled something dire to me. We're going to get more into acquisitions in a little while, but I did want to note that this is happening over with Netflix, and I'll be interested to see what they can do there. And uh, remember that there are other entities that are kind of and have quietly bought things in the last few years. People are forgetting Valve bought things. Facebook is buying things. Google, mm -hmm. Amazon. It's never going to stop. Outside of just the, the gaming entities. Now you have Netflix and others. I just don't. I don't know. I'll, I'll say it, but I, I just don't think this bodes well 
Um, and actually, this will be a major thing that I end up talking with Hogue about. How Who do long... you think? <laughs> oh, good, Chris. <laughs> now I was gonna say, how long before like, how long before something like a really baffling company enters? The, like, oh, host. I was about to say that. Yeah, you know? we're in the save wavelength. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's yeah. someone that I considered because there was those rumors about Walmart starting a streaming <laughs> gaming service. Like, who? Well, they is have every to... reason to, right? Like, yeah. Well, There's going to be Amazon a developer Prime. owned by Walmart in the next five years, probably. I'm, yeah, if, if that streaming service happens, it's I would I would bet money on it. That's I agree. A... Walmart's been great about. I used to work so at IGN. It used to be next to Walmart.com when we worked in the suburbs, and I actually worked with, lived with someone that worked there. Um, he passed away sadly, but they've always been a pr- silently a company that's been doing shit online, working on their website, working on things behind the scenes masters obviously of supply chain stuff like absolute symphony of stuff they do behind the scenes so it makes perfect sense when you look at like what is when you really think about it what is amazon prime streaming why is that any more why would walmart streaming be any weirder than that when you really think about it Mm -hmm. right right like it's the same thing it's just it's just another company doing it we're just so acclimated and what i think we're going to end up happening is because Amazon is talking about buying the rights to Sunday Ticket, which is going to be fucking awesome if that happens. That's the NFL offering. That's been with DirecTV for 25 years, and they've renewed it over and over and over again, and, and the renewals, uh, renewal is up, and everyone knows AT&T is out. Apple and Amazon apparently are the big guys in it. And I think it's really interesting because what they're trying to do is add value, and I think that's what Netflix is trying to do here as well. Because Am- everyone's like, oh, what are they going to do with, the, with on Amazon with NFL? And I'm like, it's going to be part of Amazon Prime. Just like yeah. the games would be on Apple Plus, just like night school's games are going to be on Netflix. So they're trying to steady themselves with an array of content. It's happening and it sucks. Yeah. But uh, Lily Mo is for sale. Wants to, uh, <laughs> Circuit City, to... now's your chance. Yeah, come back, Circuit City. <laughs> come back, Circuit City. <laughs> there have been some weird players in um, games in the past. I think the weirdest player of all people might not know this unless you're very old like me is Quaker Oats. They were a publisher of games in the uh, Atari era. Wow. Pretty prolifically. Um, and there were others too, because it's the same thing. You you see money. Yeah, yeah. Know? I know. Ca- I know. I remember I played a Captain Crunch game. Dude, <laughs> it came in the box. Yeah, it came in I the box. I remember like, It was like Crunchling something or whatever the hell. I don't remember what it was. That I know it was, was awesome, Crunchlings. But yeah, like, <laughs> I had that. I, so there, you know, we've, there's a lot of weird players in the games industry. All right, let's see. What else do we have to get through here? Quite a few more things. Oh, I wanted to just say this, Chris, and I'll be curious. Well, actually, for both of you, Battlefield 2042, open beta dates. Yeah. The open beta runs from October 6th through 9th, 2021. And you can check it out if you'd like. I'll be curious what uh you guys think of this. Are you going to check it out? Yeah, no, uh, definitely. Like, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm really curious about this. It, I think it looks awesome. Like everything I've seen so far, granted, you know, we've really only gotten, you know, CG trailers, but I think they're on the right track with it. Um, what little we've seen of the actual game looks really good. It looks significantly better than, you know, Call of Duty's offering this year, which is like really interesting because this is the first time that I can recall in a while where Call of Duty is almost like universally kind of like not looking so hot. And I know that we had that one trailer where, like, it was, like, Battlefield 1 versus, I think it was Infinite Warfare. I could be getting the names wrong because they're all the same. But, you know, I remember that year, it was, like, everybody disliked the trailer. But I think people were still excited for the game. This this year has a very different 
tone. I don't know if it's mm. just me, but like I feel like a lot of people, like even because uh, there are pe- members of my family, like younger younger people who are still playing these games, and even people who like have been in the COD ecosystem for a long time. You know, I have a thirteen year old, uh, you know, young friend of the family who's like, I'm not gonna get that. It looks like shit. I'm like, that's surprising from like a 13 year old because when I was 13, sure. I was just getting whatever the hell my friends were getting, you know? Right. So, well, it's, maybe, it's yeah, maybe, maybe children are becoming a little more discerning. I'd like to think Ooh. I was discerning at, at 13, but I definitely wasn't. Yeah. I'd play basically anything Japanese at that age. So, how discerning was I? Well, maybe pretty discerning. That was a pretty golden era. But, uh, Dustin, will you check out Battlefield 2042's beta, open beta? Yes. I actually, I was just checking the dates because I'm going to be going to. Virginia actually around that time but I'll be home for the beginning of it so I definitely want to check it out I'm excited about this I was seeing some leaked gameplay of before it was like out like the it was like alpha gameplay or something and it looks it looks cool I've never been good at battlefield games ever but (laughs) I want to check this one out I feel like it looks good (laughs) I saw you playing I screenshotted it too because it it really confused me. I went on Discord and I saw Dustin. You were playing Battlefield 1943 for like a split second. Battlefield 1943. Yeah. Oh yeah, yes, I was, dude. I was on my Series X, uh, the worst console ever, the Series X. Yeah, <laughs> the I, I hate that thing. Xbox Series X is the worst console ever. <laughs> I'd rather have a Wii U broken. <laughs> but go on i was on it and i was looking in my the apps like it will show you everything you've had you know just like playstation all this stuff you've bought and i was like whoa this game's on backwards compatibility i wonder if the servers are still up because i used to love this game and sure enough they were i got into a game instantly i got into a game of battlefield 1943 faster than uh when i was playing like halo master chief collection a few weeks ago like it was like instant (laughs) So it's it's absolutely horrible at uh, 30 FPS, and it's amazing that we played games like that at the time. Yeah. But it was when, fun when that was ported. 19, when 1943 came to XBLA, I remember yeah. my well, I lived with Scott Bromley at the time. People might know he works at Star Wars now, and uh, he was like obsessed with that game. There were when I lived with him, I, only, I lived with him for like a year and a half. I think there were like three games he played, but he played like every day. I watched him play Plants vs Zombies so much that I became obsessed by proxy. Dude, because it. it wasn't on PS3 yet at that time, remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then it later came to PS3 and Vita. But uh, yeah, so keep an eye out for that, everyone. October 6th through 9, Battlefield 2042. I also wanted to talk real quick about this uh, story I saw on gamesindustry.biz. People can fly expands to work on smaller games and new genres, it says. And the story in part says, quote, people can fly today announce a change in strategy that will see it begin to branch out into double A games and new genres alongside its triple A shooter efforts. The Outrider Studio said that its AA games would have quality comparable to its previous titles, but would be characterized by a shorter development time, lower budget, and smaller scope, and that they're looking to get a game out each year beginning in 2024, and they now own seven teams. I'm excited about this just because I, I love the embrace, Chris, of AA, and this mm-hmm. is one of the big, big things I'm going to talk to Hogue about on Sacred Symbols Plus, which is mergers and acquisitions certainly ruin the middle ground, right? Because people must be chasing returns. Returns means safe investments. So double A is not a good place to be. And people can fly. Had a game that people considered maybe not a huge hit in Outriders. I still think it's the best game of the year, by the way. 
I now I've not played a lot of things that I need to play. So stand down. <laughs> but what do you make of of what's going on over here with this particular situation with uh, people can fly going double A, not completely, but embracing double A. I just think this speaks a lot to what Sean Layden was talking about and has mm-hmm. talked about, which is you got to get games out quicker. Yeah. You got to return your investment quicker. What do you mean? Yeah. I, I love I love double A games. So like I'm glad to see this, you know, kind of and I, we've talked about this a little bit before, but I just I just feel like we had a, a really long period of time where we just kind of weren't getting these, you know, kind of middler market titles. Like we just it, it was really just triple A and indie. Like, hey, here's Undertale, here's Battlefield, and and that's basically all you got for a while. And just to see people can fly specifically going into this territory makes me happy because I think they've got like a really good team. I think Outriders cons- all things considered, you know, like releasing a looter type game, you know, this late in the game and having it received that well and, you know, especially for a studio that hadn't done anything like that for like as far as I'm aware, you know. I know they did Bulletstorm, right? Yeah, people Bulletstorm, but yeah, otherwise they were really mostly known for Gears. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think it's I think it's great. Like, I'm I'm happy about this, you know. This is great Me news too. for everybody. Good Polish boys. Yeah. Uh, although they have studios around the world now. Dustin, do you have any strong feelings about this? Nothing sh- particularly strong. I would say that, I don't know if this is a concern, but I feel like in some ways their AAA efforts feel a little double A. For example, like Outriders has a bit of a double A feel. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm. I don't want to say, there's things about that game that are were a little jank that felt really off to me, like the insistence on fading to black all the yeah, time, yeah. and like some of the voice acting and the way the delivery, which I know that that is very opinion-based. Some people were totally yeah. fine uh, with the voice acting and the you writing just and stuff. Days Gone in a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward fade to black and the weird dialogue. Flower scenes and whatnot. Yeah. God, Christ. So... It'll be, you know, curi- I'll be curious to see how they, you know, what level of double A versus triple A. Because in a lot of ways, some of these companies are really blurring the lines of of what those mean. Because you have games that are of triple A visual quality that are actually like double A as far as their budget and what they go to achieve. Kind of like uh, Kina, but mm-hmm. um, it'll be cool Is to see what they do. Said? Is that how it's said, Kina? So I'm pretty sure it's Kina, which I was going to bring it up later when we talk oh, about. Okay, what I, didn't, I didn't know that. Well, I'm not going to say that. Yeah, I mean, but <laughs> but uh, <laughs> might be Kana actually. I don't I'm remember. That's I'm definitely that's not saying that. That's definitely uh, so. Yeah, we'll see what happens with people can fly. I think this is a safe move, and I agree with you. The blurring of the lines between double A AA and triple A games is happening. Like watching Micah play recently, Kingdoms of Amalur on Xbox One. Or I'm sorry, Xbox Series X. It's an Xbox One port, though. She was. I was watching, and I was, I was just like, I, I loved that game when it came out. It felt at the time pretty AAA, but it's not really when you look back on it. And I feel like there are actually a lot of games in the action RPG space, in the Soulsborne space, right? Games like uh, uh, um, we're going to talk about it. I think a little bit Code Vein. And actually, Bandai Namco is in that kind of double A space with, with yeah. um, Scarlet Nexus. And I even think Tales of Arise is a double A game. You know, it's not a triple A RPG. The Surge. Know. Right. The Surge mm-hmm. is a great example. Stuff coming out of Focus Home Interactive, all that stuff. Yeah. And that's good stuff. A lot of people love those games. Uh, you think about uh, 
just these. What was that game where you're the colonist and you go and Red you? Fact? It's like a, a yeah. There's like a game where you play as a colonist. Oh, uh, Greedfall. Yeah, Greedfall. That's yeah. what it is. Like that's a game. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Like I don't think that's really AAA, but no, it's high. See, that's the thing. AAA doesn't necessarily. Well, let me let me let me think carefully about this. AAA means high quality. High quality doesn't necessarily mean AAA, because, mm-hmm. like, think about Mega Man Nine. It's like mm-hmm. one of the most high quality, immaculate eight bit games ever made. That's incredibly high quality. It's definitely not AAA. Yeah. So, we'll see. Good luck to people who can fly. I'm rooting for you. Really want to know what you think about this one, Chris. Of course, we'll all talk about it. Spider-Man 2, IGN says, will be darker than Insomniac's last two Spidey games. And so apparently on This Week in Marvel, which is a podcast, Bill Roseman, who's the creative VP of Marvel, says in part, quote, the first Spider-Man game was Star Wars. Spider-Man 2 is kind of our empire. It means Empire Strikes Back. Gets a little darker, end quote. Is this what you want out of Spider-Man, Chris? I, I was I don't really know the tenor of Spider-Man well enough to know if this is what people want, but I felt like the first Spider-Man was kind of dark. Yeah. Too. I don't know if I wanted to get much darker than that. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of what I was thinking too. It's like I remember the ending of the first game being pretty like <laughs> miserable. <laughs> you know, like really sad shit happens throughout that entire game. You got a dude whose brain is deteriorating like the whole time and it's like I don't know. It oh, you know the fun ah, fun quirky, you know, episode 4 a new hope where everybody has, you know, Alzheimer's. Um really uplifting experience. I I don't know if I want them to get so much darker to the point where Spider-Man 2 is Empire Strikes Back in comparison to the first one, but I do understand with Venom in general why you might have to get a little darker and I think they did try to like convey like a bit of a darker tone in that trailer you know to the point where i i literally just i thought it was infamous when i first saw it because that you know the electricity and the dark like city streets sure but oh that would have been cool yeah but i i just um it i think spider-man can be done in a myriad of different ways i hope that they maintain the tone of what was good about you know, Miles and Spider-Man PS4 in the sense that it I didn't feel like that game was too, like, nice or happy-go-lucky. It just felt relatively light in comparison to, like, I don't know, <laughs> The Last of Us Part 2. Uh, and I hope they don't try to... It would just bother me to see, especially with a Wolverine game that is supposed to be also dark, I, I-, I think I would be annoyed to see a swath of Sony first-party games all try to be these, like, dark brooding experiences because i feel like i'm just i just don't want more of that Mm. you know i'm still gonna play them and and i know they're gonna be great but like some levity would be nice and i think spider-man is the perfect character for that so you know just be careful with the slider on the you know the the misery slider like keep it you know appropriately tuned yeah that's a fascinating point actually is that maybe this represents us in the Sonyization of Spider-Man, or the not Sonyization, but PlayStation, PlayStationization of Spider-Man as they make it slowly into the. Yeah, it does. As they slowly make Spider-Man into the Last of Us. Right. What uh, (laughs) what do you make of of this apparently darker Empire Strikes Back like tone? 
Well, as the audience very well knows now at this point, I'm not uh, a comic book guy at all. But I did remember, and I was looking this up when Chris was talking, that very dark aspects of Spider-Man are nothing new. Mm-hmm. There's a arc in the original comics about Gwen Stacy, who is yeah. Spider-Man's original girlfriend. And I was reading this. It's actually way darker than I thought it was. Green Goblin abducts her and he, like drops her off of a, of a, a tower. And Spider-Man saves her uh, by shooting the web to catch her. But the whiplash is so strong that it breaks her neck and kills her. Uh, and it's Spider-Man blames himself for her death. Yeah. So I could see something, you know, along those lines. Maybe that's something they want to go for. Maybe it, what if, you know, maybe one of the two Spider-Men could die, whether it's Miles or the, the OG. Maybe that's what they want to a direction they'd want to go in. I don't really know how, if I care one way or the other, whether they keep it light or taking it in a dark direction. But again, I don't think we need Spider-Man to be like the last of us. Yeah. But I, I would also say like, I, I don't like when, when anybody does this whole, like it's our empire strikes back because yeah. when you say that you kind of implicitly spoil your game because what the, what empire strikes back means is, Man, at the end of the game, our heroes are going to be really down and out. So you know someone important's going to die, and it's probably going to be Peter Parker, I would imagine. Because we're, we're a little bit more comfortable killing off Peter Parker now, ever since, uh, you know, Into the Spider-Verse, where that was, like, a whole, like, central point. So, like, I feel like I know the ending now, because he said it's like Empire Strikes Back. When he didn't have to say that, he could have just yeah. been like, ah, it's going to be... Point. It's going to be a little darker and it's going to be a little bit more mature. You didn't have to say like, ah, oh, you know, this script that everybody's super familiar with. It's like that. It's like, well, maybe don't. Maybe stop well, using Empire Strikes Back as a, as a, <laughs> as a description for your movie or your yeah, game. For, 41 years after it came out, I think maybe we can point to something else. Although one of my favorite movies, I do think. It's great. It, yeah, it certainly is. I, I do think we'll have to wait a while to find out. 2023. All right. We have to talk about Naughty Dog briefly. Oh First of God. all, they just they just announced because it was you know Last of Us Day or whatever. They announced that you know there's nothing to really say. Factions is still coming. It sounds like it's going to be a full fledged game. I was remarking to Micah when I was reading it. I was like, I bet you this is going to be a seventy dollar game. Yeah. And uh, I'm not saying that from a value judgment standpoint. I think they might make a game worth seventy dollars. I think that we might have in our minds this expectation that factions is what it used to be, and I don't think it is. And I. That kind of has me a little bit excited and interesting, but we don't have to talk about that now. What I'm more interested in talking about, and I'll throw this to Dustin first, is um, Naughty Dog tweeted out a picture on The Last of Us Day of Joel and Ellie in The Last of Us on HBO. We see them from the back looking at a plane crash on a hill. I don't think that's a shot from the game, is it? No. Uh, I don't remember that. I I played it three times. I mean, I, I don't remember every inch of it, but I don't remember that, but... I actually remember that from the first Uncharted, but that that's neither here nor there. What do you make of this? Uh, a lot of people tweeting about it, and, and there's not really much to say, yet I think that there is quite a bit to say. There's a, quite a bit of detail, and um, it looks the part. And um, I was talking to my sisters, and I think it engaged something in me that I had to kind of embrace more fully, which was that this is going to be a way to get people in my life to pay attention to a story I really love that they're not going to care about otherwise. And that I think that they will end up really caring about. So anything you have to say about this image? No, I don't in particularly feel too excited about the image. 
not that it's bad in any way. Like it's not like Joel is wearing like a speedo and you're like, this never happened in the game. Like or something that like outrageous, like it's clearly going in a different direction. Yeah. There's like very a much burrito looking alien crawling right. around in the background. <laughs> right. I think that the image very much fits the part, what we would expect. And in this scenario, I think that is a good thing that they look, it looks and feels like it should. So I'm very curious when we see the first trailer. I think that that's when we're going to get a true idea of what the tone is and how derivative it is as well. Yeah, definitely. Chris, you have any comment? Uh, I know you're not as up Naughty Dog's ass as I am, so you might have a more staid yeah. thing yeah, to say. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I think it looks fine, but <laughs> it's also telling that we're seeing these characters from the back, you know? Yeah. But I, I think, I don't know, from behind anyway, which I guess is you know how you play the game so fair enough but you know pedro looks the part i think whoever's playing ellie like looks fine um clearly older but yeah I she mean, looks I older mean, she looks older to me yeah yeah and it looks a little bit like the plane they're staring at is concept art but because you zoom in and it has like that concept art feel but like i don't know i think it looks fine i, I think it's probably going to be all right i just you know i'm just not super excited to see a series about this but I think what you said, Colin, is, is probably uh, the most valid positive take to have, which is this is going to get people to pay attention to a story that is really important in video games. And I think that's probably a net positive, even if this thing doesn't turn out to be like the greatest thing. If it gets people into the industry and it gets people like into this medium, I think, you know, fine. You know, I'm all for it. Uh, I, I look at the HBO logo popping up. I always like playing the game of like, what do you hear or see after you hear the the HBO you know, come up? Do you hear the Soprano song? Do you hear The Wire? Do you hear Oz? Curb Your Enthusiasm? The whatever. <laughs> and I, I, the point is, is that yeah, that means quality to me. It actually, it actually scream. Well, it's what PlayStation's like Sony Interactive Entertainment when I used to say it or whatever. Now PlayStation Studios like it means quality. Does it mean it's for you? I don't know, but that's what has me a little bit. I don't want to say even optimistic, just just ready for this, like in just studying the picture just a little bit like it just it looks it looks right. And what if they go up to that plane and it really is the plane crash from Uncharted Drake's fortune and Tom Holland swings out? Yeah. And they cross over into the same for some reason. reason. <laughs> Spider-Man crossover too. It the th <laughs> wow. Yeah, this is actually an announcement for uh, was it PlayStation All-Star Battle Royale too? Yeah. Whoa. That would be great. We Tom Holland. <laughs> I just wanted to acknowledge also, before we get into what we're playing, PlayStation 5 has surpassed 1 million units sold in the UK, which is the fastest console to ever do it. Did it in 39 weeks. Previous record holder was 42 weeks, PlayStation 4. So even a supply-constrained PS5 selling incredibly well. And, uh, of course, the comments keep saying they're all sitting in a scalper's garage. Still don't understand that argument whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, if anyone can explain that argument to me about how scalpers are buying consoles and then keeping them until they are less valuable. I would love to know. And I didn't put this in the document. I forgot to, but I wanted to note this as well. It's being reported. Ars Technica wrote about it. G.I. Joe goes AAA with new game headed by XWB developers. As everyone knows, I'm a huge G.I. Joe fan. Wizards of the Coast are working on a G.I. Joe AAA game that they're hiring for, and they're doing it in North Carolina, just south of where I am right now. Nothing more to say about this, really. We know, as we talked about, I think, earlier this year, if not last year, that Wizards of the Coast is kind of reforming 
and getting, uh, not reforming, but changing direction and getting into AAA video game development. And that is awesome. A AAA G.I. Joe game hurts me a little bit. I mean, it, I get a little jealous when I hear that, you know, because I want to work on it. But <laughs> nonetheless, I'll take it. As long as it's people that know the series, I think that's a great thing. So I wanted to mention that in closing as well. But finally, we get into what we're playing. Chris, let's start with you today. Yeah, you're playing, you've been playing the Halo Infinite Flight. Yeah, yeah, that's that's um, I haven't really had much time I've been working on like videos. And obviously, even just playing the Infinite Flight it was just mostly the capture capture footage. I'm trying to make this big comprehensive video of like what I think. There's another flight this weekend with, uh, you know, big team battle. And, and I'm going to be streaming that with a bunch of a bunch of people. But yeah, I, I've been putting a lot of time into it. It's not accessible right now. It's only for this weekend and, you know, this weekend coming up. But it is just really good. It feels really nice. There are some problems, like, very, like, all very tweakable things. Very much like, ah, you know, the dead zone on the controller feels a little bit weird. And I have to fuck around with settings to get it to feel exactly right. But I'm very impressed by the map design, by the sandbox I spent a lot of time just walking around a map by myself, and that is, like, a really good sign. Uh, I think it's got really strong art direction. It feels just... It feels like a sequel to uh, Halo 3 to me, which is something that we I feel like we haven't really got. And I know this is a PlayStation podcast, but it's literally the only thing I've been playing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's totally fun. So... I'm feeling more and more optimistic as this release date approaches, even with all this development hell kind of behind it. And it also just kind of reminds me, dude, of how good Halo 2 was, despite that hellish development cycle where they got that whole game done in like 11 months, to the point where I almost feel like you can't make a good Halo game unless the team is miserable. (laughs) Unless they're just like fucking up constantly. Because this is the best that it's been in ages. And 5 was developed in seemingly a really healthy way. Four was developed in, you know, in with far less controversial, you know, stories from the from the trenches. So I'm not saying that's literally true, by the way. I'm just noticing a pattern. And yeah, we'll see when it comes out. And uh, there's another flight this weekend, but I'm feeling pretty optimistic about it. I think it's good. And... I think the big question is, is this story going to be good? Because that's really 343's big problem. <laughs> well, we'll find out. A, and they don't know how to tell a story in this universe, but we'll see. Nine, nine weeks or so. December. Four days after my birthday. Very exciting indeed. Yeah. Dustin, you've been playing an array of games here. Talk to us about them. Yeah, and I didn't, I forgot I, to include that I also played the Infinite uh, flight, which I think Chris covered it great, so I won't touch on it too much, other than I also very much enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to playing Big Team this weekend. Yeah. The three main games, though, that I've been playing are <laughs> Kena, Kena, Ken, whatever, Bridge of Spirits. Mm. Uh, I've put a lot more time in s- since last week, and I like this game, but I definitely do not love it. Mm-hmm. It is interesting in that it is a smaller scale game we talked last week that it feels kind of like a ps2 game and i can definitely confirm that that is for sure the case to the point where 
combat can start to feel very simplistic, uh, a little repetitive. And the main draw of this game, at least for me, is visually, it is really, really stunning. Some of the art style directions uh, I'm not as big on. There are these two children in the game that I think (laughs) are horrifying looking they're like the first section of the game as you focus on with these two kids and their their brother and i don't like them not very much uh but don't care for the children i know we don't care for the children on sacred symbols but yeah this one i feel like if you are interested in it and you like if you are into a kind of a game that's like a throwback it it is probably worth your your 40 dollars there's a boss fight in this game that i think is not good it almost reminded me of like a bad Dark Souls fight in that you got to remember the patterns and like read the boss, which is cool. That's a good thing. But it wasn't as anywhere near mechanically tight as a Dark Souls game. And so it really frustrated me. So overall, though, I'm going to I'm going to finish it. I think I'm about halfway through at this point, but I really don't know. It's not a terribly long game. This other game I'm very excited to mention, and that is Death Stranding Director's Cut, which I should not have started, but I was thinking about this game constantly last weekend when it came out. I was like, man, there's something about seeing this game on my Twitter feed again that just is calling to me that I must start this game again, despite the fact that I'm playing all of these other things. And so eventually I just gave in bought the $10 upgrade. And so far, I'm still very early on. I've only connected the first two base points together. So I can't speak on the new content at all. But the PS5 version of this game is really, really fantastic. I'm playing in the widescreen mode, which if you have an OLED TV, I I feel like this is the essential way to play it just because you're not going to be distracted by the black bars at the top at the bottom. And you can play it on quality mode and it runs at, I'm pretty sure Digital Foundry was saying it's like a flawless 60. I haven't noticed any problems, but running at a full native 4K, 60 FPS, the dual sense support is really nice too. Very immersive. The feelings in the controller, the adaptive triggers can be a little, I don't know if annoying is the right word, but when you have more stuff on your back, it's harder to press down the triggers which is cool and immersive. But when you are holding those triggers for minutes on end, trekking across rocks and stuff, eventually your fingers are like, "Eh, let's, let's take it easy here for a second. So other than that though, this game is, is awesome. I was telling somebody that I love death stranding playing it when it came out. And when it, when I finished it, I thought this game is a masterpiece. This is one of the best games of this generation. But since playing it, it has like aged beautifully in my mind. Like it's actually gotten better my time away from the game. And so being able to hop back in with that perspective, it's not perfect. Of course, I don't want people to think that it's like, there's still some things that I think are like kind of dumb about it. Uh, They removed the rocks, the monster energy drink from it. That was something that annoyed me. Deals up. yeah, the deal was up. They still have a ride with Norman Reedus when you're taking a dump or whatever. So there's still some weird Kojima stuff wait, in there. Wait, wait so so what do you uh, what do you drink? 
uh bridges it energy generic or something what is yeah, it still wait so it's still an energy drink it's still an energy drink the cans look the same they just reskinned like, them i guess reskinned it it's God, no longer I feel, monster i feel like they should at least make it water no Norman that's Reedus, not, no. Norman that's Reedus has work. never drank water in his life. That's, that man that's true, lives yeah. off, off energy drinks and cigarettes, um, mm-hmm. and that, we love him for that. So, Death Stranding Director's Cut, very good. I'm excited to get into the new content. I will update later when I get to that. And then Tales of Rise, I'm still trucking through. This game is kind of losing a bit of its luster as I go on. Getting I heard f- it gets a little... I heard it does that. From it's getting frustrating. Yeah. And Colin, I wanted to ask you this. And I don't want to go too long since I'm playing all this stuff. But what's really Please frustrating me is that I will be doing just fine in the moment to moment battles. And, you know, enemies are not too tough, but I, I can't take it, you know, super easy. I'm still thinking about stuff, but I'm not having a lot of problems. As soon as I get to a boss fight, I'm instant like destroyed. And. To the point where there was one time where I was like, this makes no sense because every enemy I fight is no, no problem at all. In fact, it's easy. I was putting the game on not the hardest mode, but the harder, not the normal. A step above normal, but not the hardest mode. And I was out and about. No issues. As soon as I get to a boss, destroyed. To the point where one time I was like, screw this. And I just put it on easy for the boss and then bumped it back up to hard mode when I was out just playing the game. Yeah, it's I, that's just such a lack of and it, the balancing issues in this game that I'm reading about because I'm only I haven't played it this week so I'm where I was last week and I don't want to read too much about it because I've done such a nice job of just avoiding everything about the game but I'm hearing that there are serious balance issues and that this might be why there's some rabble rousing about the the seeming developing nature of this game towards grind mm. and then towards buying gold on PSN and yeah I gotta yeah. see this for myself because I have so much experience with tales that I, I'm curious to know more I was pleased to hear from people though last week a few people someone wrote into me privately this extensive letter they, they got lost in tales exactly the same place I did uh, and I was like oh okay I don't feel so bad about about it anymore I don't feel so dumb but Mike has been cruising along she's playing on the Xbox Series S actually and she's uh, that's the one we have in our bedroom and uh, so she's cruising along she'll be on our when we do a spoiler cast and review discussion for it in the coming weeks, she'll be on that as well. Uh, for me, I spent the entire week playing one game, Act Razor Renaissance. I simply couldn't resist it. And first of all, I know that it, I haven't read too deeply about it. In fact, I'm going to do this in real time. I'm just going to go Act Razor Renaissance Metacritic. I don't know if people have started posting reviews yet. Yeah, so. On Switch, it's got like a 76, and, and and some people are really reviewing it nicely, and it's got some like middling reviews. I have to say, I'm pretty impressed with how much work went into making ActRaiser new. And I do have a problem with the 2.5D graphics. Like, I don't like them very much. But mm-hmm. people have been describing them as like this unplayable mess, and it's not anything like that. I actually think the game is very true to the original in a lot of ways. That's why I recognized it in a millisecond when I saw the trailer, when it was announced. I knew it was ActRaiser. And this this team that we actually, as far as I can tell, this is their first Western game, although they've been around for a long time. I never heard of them. It's, they're called Sonic Powered. And their logo is blue. 
And I was like, is this like a Sega studio or like, (laughs) is this like some sort of collab? What the fuck is this? Or is this an, and then my mind was like, is Sega powered like an engine? Yeah. And so, but no, they're a studio. I read about them on Moby Games a little bit and they've been around for a long time and this is their first Western release and it's a very true game. What What I think is interesting about it, if people have played the original Act Razor to just explain it again, it's part God Sim, part side scrolling action game. And it's awesome. It's a great idea. What basically what it, there's six territories on the earth. You go to each, you try you land in that place, you do a 2 2D side scrolling thing and kill a boss. Then it goes into god mode and you build the little area that you've unlocked. And then at the end there's like a threat and you go back down and fight another boss and then that area is cleared and you go on to the next area and so on and so forth. Huh. But and it's really cool. In this version they've added a lot of texture. Questing the the there are like now like almost tower defense sections pretty deep tower defense sections where your your settlements are raided and you have to protect them and there are like other characters and it's important to note that god mode is kind of literal because you're playing as god in the game and so you come down as the form of god when you come down and otherwise you're giving all of your orders to an angel who acts as your proxy and that's the character you're kind of controlling otherwise it's really cute and I was kind of disappointed that more people didn't see this for what it was, which was a really rock solid iteration on the original Act Racer and something that is very much needed because in 1993, we got an Act Racer sequel on SNES. And for some reason, Enix at the time thought it was appropriate to just remove the whole God Sim aspect of the game and just make it a side scroller. And everyone's like, what? the?" And it was also really hard. Yeah. And everyone's like, what the fuck is this? Like, I remember renting it at you know I was 10 years old or 11 years old I'm like this sucks like where is this is an act razor and we've wanted something like that ever since and so I got to recommend this game to people that like the original act razor or if you go watch a trailer it might appeal to you I will say that the pacing in the game is very frustrating and it was in the original one as well and I think it might turn people off the game interrupts you constantly like what do you mean like dialogue boxes yeah like like because you're basically dealing with two characters per area where they're praying to you and they pray in a temple. So they're constantly telling you things and it's like to get the quest going or to like activate something or whatever. So you're flying around with your angel and, and building your town and tending to things. And then like, it'll like they'll interrupt you. And then 10 seconds later, you'll be flying around. Then they'll interrupt you. And so they've not really, they've actually made that problem worse by virtue of updating the game. And I think that's going to frustrate some people, but I'm, I'm ready for it because I'm an act act razor fan from way back. And the big thing about act razor that a lot of people know is the soundtrack is awesome. And the new soundtrack is just an orchestral wonder. It's great. Yeah. So I recommend act razor Renaissance. I think it's, it's a little expensive. I think it's 30 bucks. I was surprised to see that might even be 40 bucks, but I'm happy to pay that. If it shows square Enix, you know, yeah. Act razor. Definitely. Why don't you put Final Fantasy Tactics on the PSN so I can give you a thousand dollars? I'll show you how much I want that. All right, that's what we're playing. Let's get into the news. It's a big one. This one just happened before we recorded, mm-hmm. and we have much to discuss. So let's get into it. Number one, finally, the obvious has been confirmed. Blue Point Games has been purchased by Sony and has officially joined PlayStation Studios as a first-party team. The studio, founded in 2006, will be Sony's first Texas-based team and allows them to tap into the thriving Austin games and tech scene. Though Bluepoint's first game was actually a title many of you may remember, the PS3 digital launch game Blast Factor. 
Everything else they've done has been a remake or a remaster. Their relationship with Sony goes deep. While PlayStation itself published Blast Factor, it also utilized Bluepoint to remaster and port God of War Collection to PS3 in 2009 and the so-called Team Eco Collection to PS3 in 2011. They did the Vita port of PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale in 2012. They ported Flower to PS4 and Vita in 2013. And they most notably remastered the first three Uncharted games in 2015 alongside a Vita to PS4 port of the original Gravity Rush, also in 2015. Then they straight up remade Shadow of the Colossus in 2018 and Demon's Souls for PS5's launch in 2020. The latter has surpassed a million units sold, 1.4 million units. It's worth noting Bluepoint has done some limited work outside of Sony 2. Their Metal Gear Solid HD collection for PS3, Vita, and Xbox 360 from 2011 on behalf of Konami is artfully done. And they also did the seldom-discussed Xbox 360 port of Titanfall, launched on behalf of EA in 2014. In a post on the official PlayStation blog, Herman Holst, the head of PlayStation Studios, noted in part that, quote, Bluepoint has raised the bar on console-defining visuals and gameplay, and the studio's vast experience in world-building and character creation will be a huge plus for future PlayStation Studios properties, end quote. In other words, and as reiterated in external interviews, Bluepoint is going to make something next, new next, not a remake. As for the team itself, studio founder Marco Thrush wrote in part, quote, PlayStation has such an iconic gaming catalog, and for us, there's been nothing better than to bring some of gaming's masterpieces to new players. Becoming a part of PlayStation Studios empowers our team to raise the quality bar even further and create even more impactful experiences for the PlayStation community, end quote. With Bluepoint's purchase, PlayStation Studios is now 16 teams strong. Right now, the family is Ben Studio, Bluepoint, Firesprite, Gorilla, Housemark, Insomniac, London Studio, Media Molecule, Naughty Dogs, Nixes, Pixel Opus, Polyphony Digital, San Diego Studio, Santa Monica Studio, Sucker Punch, and Team Asobi. Chris, it's happened. Yeah, it happened, and it's it seemed it when I saw it, I was like, ah, like I I just expected this to happen. It almost made me feel like I was reading too much into the smoke and mirrors. Like maybe it was a real mistake that Japan tweeted that image out. Maybe maybe Bluepoint was reiterating their independence recently to, on purpose. But no, they they here they are. They're a first party team now. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, cats out of the bag, I guess. Like we we uh, I mean, like you already kind of said, we we knew this. For a while, and they, I, I'm confused as to why it took them so long, because I feel like maybe they're just trying to sparse out announcements or, like, pace out announcements so that they feel like they have more to say throughout the year than they actually do, but <laughs> it's just strange that they chose now. Like, I, I don't I don't understand why not, why not when it happened or why not, like, way, way sooner, but I think the biggest takeaway from this is that it seems like we're not getting that Metal Gear Solid remake. Yeah, I, I don't. Because I was talking to Jaffe about that on his show not too long ago, and they're only 70 strong at Blue Point. I don't know that they can do more than one AAA project at a time. Yeah. Now, in the IG, I actually got to pull this up because I want to be really specific. IGN had a specific interview with them. And so that he actually, it's um, Jonathan Dornbush. He actually interviewed Herman Holston and Marco Thrush, the founder. And Basically, what they said, Thrush says to them is that they want to work on original content. And uh, he says, our next pro- quote, our next project, we're working on original content right now. We can't talk about what that is, but that's the next step in the evolution for us. We don't really know it, but he says later, quote, the transition from remasters to remakes was to test ourselves and push ourselves harder for the next step. End quote. So, oh, it's 95 people now at Demon Souls with outsourcing. They're down to 70 now. We don't really know what this means. 
Yeah. I found myself a little flummoxed by that because I don't know that that's why you want Blue Point, but maybe mm-hmm. I'm wrong. What do you make of it? Well, I'm wondering if there's some area in between. Is it possible that their new content is like uh, a? I mean, let's just throw out with the hypothetical here. Like a sequel? Could it? Could they be working on Metal Gear Solid Six, and that <laughs> the rumors are are off, and that's where like there's a Kojima connection in this? Probably not. That'd be really interesting. I mean, the Metal Gear Solid rumors are pretty strong from from the people from the sources I'm hearing them emanate from behind the scenes. It it doesn't seem like. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know anyone working on the project, but it doesn't seem like anyone's pulling it out of their ass either. So I, I don't know. I'm just a little confused by the headcount thing. It could be that they're also just working on Metal Gear Solid and they're making new content for Metal Gear Solid. Like that, and that's just a way for them to say it. I just think it's a weird obfuscation of the point. Sure. As it were. I mean, there's also I, I've thrown this out before that. What if there's a situation where Sony wants a Bloodborne 2 and from software says, sorry, we're not really interested in doing second party games for you anymore just because we are uh, able to kind of shop around to wherever we want now. And so maybe they have Bluepoint do it or something like that. Or here's the other thing, too, is that, you know, I'm throwing out options of sequels to established IP, but Bluepoint has shown that they are incredibly capable and so I would absolutely love to see an IP, a new IP from them just because, hmm. man, especially Demon Souls was really, really, really well done from both a, a technical perspective, the updated art direction from the game that these guys clearly know what they're doing. And so I'd love to see them take a crack at whatever they want, really. We have a letter here from Corey McBride. Who wrote in and said, greetings, fellow CMs and Big D. Along with Sony finally officially confirming the Bluepoint acquisition came another interesting tidbit of news that Bluepoint's next game will be an original title. I'm not sure that any of us saw this coming due to their massive success with remakes and remasters. My question is this. What kind of game do you think Bluepoint could be making? Will it be a new entry in some existing Sony IP or a brand new IP altogether? Is Bluepoint large enough to work on multiple games at once, perhaps an original game and a remake? Thanks for all you guys do and keep up the great work. The Corey's inquiry was really prescient because it represents the opportunity cost. I think I, I saw blue point as a more surgical acquisition that filled a similar role to Nix's in the sense that you buy the studio to remake your games and you buy a studio that's passionate about remakes, not climbing like we were talking Chris brought up Saber Interactive before that's totally great like to have ambition to do more it's awesome and a lot of studios start like that Sanzaru ported the Sly collection before they made Sly 4 etc yeah but I was kind of hoping for PlayStation that they would be able to acquire Bluepoint and then say like every three years or so let's pick a game from our past that you're going to remake and that's you that's what you do just like Nix's ports games to PC just like you know etc and so on and so locking down blue points talent is great i think tapping into texas talent is especially great because there's a lot of studios down there and sony is conspicuously absent and now they're not but i mean even nintendo has had a long a long 
uh, presence through retro down there. So, you know, you want to have some involvement down there and, and this is great, but I, I just question the wisdom of letting them make their own game just because it's an opportunity cost. And so I don't really have any, to Corey's point or question, I don't care what they make because I'm interested in seeing it. I'm eager and excited to see it just yeah. like you are, but I'm a little confused why you want them to make something new when they just took two games and did amazing things to them. Uh, and that's like a huge asset. And it made it seem to me like Sony was getting organized in a way that its competitors are not. You know, Microsoft is not certainly not organized in such a way where it's like they have a, a pipeline of like studios that are really assigned to certain things. Like it would even be ideal to get things like Decima out of Gorilla so that and they have ice over at Naughty Dog, but to just have like a, a stable that takes care of the engines and stuff like that, removing all of the barriers to making games. And so uh, Nintendo does that a little bit better, but I guess I just looked at it as like a stepping stone to, to a better organization. And frankly, the only organization that does it right right now is, is Embracer because they have an entire vertical of their company, an entire silo that is dedicated to remasters and remakes straight up. That's why they bought Saber. And so that's kind of where my mind's at. Does that make sense to you, Dustin? Yeah, I think that that makes complete sense. I, um, like I said, I, I'm, I'm mixed on it. I totally see what you're saying in that we want like having a dedicated team, especially at this point in the industry and well, in particular PlayStation, right? They are now really starting to get to the point where they can amp up the nostalgia factor. I mean, that's what Nintendo lives off of. So yeah. I could see Nintendo or see Sony w wanting a piece of that. It's like, we've got kids that started gaming on PlayStation one and they are now 28 years old like me. Right. And so how do we cash in on some of that nostalgia? And we would love that. But again, at the same time, I'll, I'll just stand by that. They are such a talented team that I feel like it's not a big risk for Sony to let them do their own thing. Maybe I'll be wrong and maybe their game will be underwhelming, but I feel like they have just a immense amount of talent that maybe they have pitched something to Sony and Sony was like, okay, you know, maybe the intent was to do a remaster or something, but they've they've shown us something that's worth pursuing yeah that that makes sense it's just i, I don't know I, I have this romantic vision in my mind of a team that likes getting the package right that likes being like here's the last guardian yeah and you're gonna dissect it and you're gonna remake it and there are people that are gonna be passionate about that puzzle right and I just thought that that's kind of what they were investing in. They're not. So they invested in the talent, it sounds like. And that is great because you're right. And I'm not even sure that they're gonna, we're going to be underwhelmed by what they do. I imagine what they're going to do is going to be pretty great. But every opportunity taken is also infinite opportunities lost. And that is the reality. Yeah. We'll see what happens. You have anything left to say about this, uh, this acquisition? Or are we, uh, should we move on, Chris? I, I think we should move on. I, I, I think we've said everything we need to say. Yeah, and I'm in pretty so much too. agreement with both of you. Well, I think it's tough because remember, I think when Housemark was announced, we just talked about Bluepoint in that episode, and we're like, "This is inevitable." 
because of the <laughs> yeah. art. So yeah. we, we kind of already made the case for it. Although, again, I made the case under the auspices of them being a Nix's like acquisition. But right, I'm right. thrilled I mean, to add another American team to the stable. Yeah, uh, for sure, because they've been buying a bunch of European stuff. And it's nice to bring that balance back. Yeah. I mean, I definitely thought that they were going to do the remakes because that's what they're really good at. You know, it's almost like starting a band and it's like, we've got Dave Grohl on bass. Right. <laughs> and it's like, okay, like, I'm sure you could probably do, a, you know, Dave Grohl can do pretty much everything, but, you know, he's Dave Grohl. Don't put him, I, I don't know, like, it just feels like, I, I'm kind of, I see where both of you are coming from, where it's like, I, I ideally wouldn't want a team to come into the Sony ecosystem with a task that they can't break from you know what i mean like you don't want them to be just like you are the remake studio now because mm. if they ever want to do something then they're not going to feel like they can say anything about it but like but to that point i mean you're right but to that point are we afraid nixes do we want nixes to be like we want to make a game you know it's like no no and then we hit them with sticks and no, tell them to get back into there not yeah but i mean I, I do think the, i do think the quality difference is you, you know what i mean like yeah, i, I feel like blue fair. point is I'm just being devil's advocate has done a remarkably good job with it. Like those are the best remakes that I think exist. Like there are some remakes that I think are like a little bit more fun because the nature of the game that they're remaking are just a little bit more fun. But like, you know, those are the the best remakes that I've, I've played. So they have some technical mastery enough to the point where like, I could see them making a game on their own and it being really good. But at the same time, you also lose the best remake studio. So like, I, I, you know, I, I don't know what I would, if I was in their shoes, I, I really don't know what I would do. If, but if I would like to assume that if Bluepoint had come to me as head of PlayStation and been like, we want to pitch our own game, I would imagine that I would say yes. Yeah, sure. Uh, and it seems like they're happy. I mean, I, I mean I'm not going to give quotes that are not happy, especially because they gave these under embargo. But they did tell IGN Thrush, Marco Thrush should say, quote, we've loved working with PlayStation all these years. There's really no one else we'd rather work with. So we started talking to these guys and it just happened to work out. And now our future is extremely bright. We have all the Sony support. We don't have to grow to become a gigantic studio. We have lots of helping hands on the Sony side now that can fill in for any gaps and maintain our studio culture, end quote. And I think that's the most important thing are the cultural fits of the various studios. And that's why I have many questions about what's going on with the next team. Number two, you'll recall that just weeks ago, Sony purchased a new studio for its first party roster, the British team Fire Sprite. Now, Fire Sprite itself has acquired a smaller studio that once spun off from it, uniting its disparate parts. This deal wasn't acknowledged by Sony or PlayStation directly anywhere, whether on social media or PlayStation blog. Instead, Fire Sprite itself made the announcement on its website, noting in part that, quote, Sony Interactive Entertainment announced today that the newest developer set to join PlayStation Studios, Fire Sprite Limited, has completed the acquisition of Fabric Games, that's with a K, a developer headquartered in the Northwest England. Fabric Games was founded by Fire Sprite's managing director, Graham Ankers, in 2014 with the vision to create, publish, and support new gaming experiences coming out of Manchester, including the launches of multiple indie titles. Most recently, Fabric Games collaborated with Fire Sprite to bring the survival horror title The Persistence to multiple platforms. Fabric will be joining Fire Sprite, playing a key role in the studio's efforts to strengthen SIE's catalog of exclusive games, end quote. The release notes of the studio's existing combined culture making this an obvious move and brings their combined headcount to 265. Fabric released two games before working on The Persistence, 2016's Filthy Lucre and 2017's The Lost Bear, both PlayStation 4 console exclusives. While The Persistence itself was a multi-platform release in 2018 and again in enhanced form in 2021. Anthony wrote in and said, Hey CDC, 
Recently acquired first-party studio Fire Sprite just acquired a studio. For my own research, it seems that there is a bit of a shared history between Fire Sprite and their newly acquired subsidiary. But I wanted to ask, is this a smart way for the other first-party teams to grow? Would you be okay with Naughty Dog, for example, acquiring a small 20 or 50-person team to increase headcount? Exciting to see what Fire Sprite is working on. Loving all the content, boys. Keep it up. The answer is no. And the reason that Sony did this, Dustin, as far as I can understand, is or allowed Fire Sprite to do this is that the founder of, like I said, Graham Anchors, who found who used to work at Liverpool Studio, Psygnosis, which was a PlayStation studio that was closed down in 2012, founded Fire Sprite and founded this other team to split off and work kind of in tandem. And so they're just combining them. I really think this is just something that is necessary for behind the scenes, whatever comedy. And I mean, not comedy, C-O-M-E-D-Y. So what do you make of this? I, this was actually the biggest piece of news before the Bluepoint acquisition was announced. It actually happened the day before in the sequence. So uh, Dustin, what do you uh, think about this Fabric Games joining Fire Sprite? Yeah, this makes sense to me in that it sounds like this the two teams were already very familiar with each other and worked together quite a bit. It was brought up about like a should another like should Naughty Dog be able to buy a team or something like that to increase their headcount or or to to grow the studio. And I feel like that would also make sense to me if if you have a support team that has been with you for a long time and it's like, okay, well, this just makes sense. Our uh, you brought up culture and I can imagine that when a, a studio it works with other studios, there are some that probably align with them from a cultural standpoint than than others. And so some of those fits probably seem obvious to do. So it is interesting to me, though, that this overall the studio headcount for this new team uh, now combined. What did you put here? It was like 265. That's a it's big team. That's a pretty big team uh, right it's off a really the bat. Big team, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a huge team. And that's, Chris, what I'm most confused about. Because, uh, well, Michael Peckin wrote in about this and said, hey, Persona players, can you tell me a bit about Fire Sprite's acquisition and how their studio numbers compare to other first party studios? Seems like they have a large amount of staff now and I have no clue what they might be doing. At 265, they're in the top five studios as far as headcount. I would think, uh, well, I know Insomniac, Polyphony, Naughty Dog, all bigger. It might stop there. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. 265 is a lot. And Chris, my biggest question here is what are they doing behind the scenes? Because Sony is really interested in them. And we were talking about cultural fits and all of that. They used to be Cygnosis, mm -hmm. a lot of these people. But that's like a different Sony. I don't know that there is a, a necessarily a cultural fit per se here because it's it's an old culture. And, and they're, now they're in a new evolved Sony culture. I think Fire Sprite was the weirdest acquisition they've made so far. But clearly something is happening behind the scenes that they are very happy with because yeah. not only did they buy a 200 plus headcount team that they absorb and all the cost that comes along with that lots of millions and millions of dollars of cost involved in that every year but yeah. also they allow them to go and reacquire this team that's owned and founded by the co-owner so they're putting money in his pocket conceivably to unite these disparate parts so aren't you intrigued about what the hell is going on over there? I mean, we, we know like kind of these vague things they're saying about the games, but I kind of feel like they're going to pop. Yeah, I mean, 
they definitely have to have some confidence. Fire Sprite is the correct me correct me if I'm wrong, but I recall the rumors being that they were working on like a multiplayer thing. Yeah, the rumors were like a multiplayer game, some sort of dark fantasy, well, and then presumably a VR game. If they're working on something in the multiplayer space, it would make sense to me why Sony would want to have a lot of you know a lot of resources going into that because that is. As we've talked about on the show many, 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 many times, that is the area in which I think they need the most support. They've got these single player games on lock. They've got these narrative, narrative, you know, semi open world adventure games on lock. They don't need, you know, Insomniac doesn't need an extra studio underneath them to help making another Spider Man. They already did that, you know, twice. Meanwhile, you know, the multiplayer side, they've really only got. You know, you, you had Last of Us Factions uh, back when The Last of Us came out. And then you had Ghost of Tsushima. The uh, Legends. Sorry. Ghost of Tsushima Legends. Uh, <laughs> God Christ. But it's true. that's I mean, really it. very little. That's you know? really it. It's not, it's not a ton. And in this new space where Microsoft seems to be putting a lot in multiplayer, like Halo is free to play. They've got, um, what is it, Crossfire X on the horizon, whatever the hell that is. That's, I'm sure, going to be another like f- free-to-play type thing. Right, They've got a Remedy. lot in the multiplayer space, and that is the area where just Sony feels really, really underpowered in comparison. And I think this is their opportunity to maybe make something of a studio uh, that you know might not be super known right now, but also put uh, my dogs like screaming downstairs. I don't know if you can hear that. I don't hear it. So. Oh, good. Sick. <laughs> it's a good mic. But I think... Uh, you know, I think this is their way of saying, like, hey, we we want a piece of that pie and we want to grow our own multiplayer culture in a way that isn't, you know, just going out and like acquiring some IP or like buying some existing game or whatever the hell. We want to make our own thing. We want to put our all into it and we want it to compete. And I would imagine that that is the sole reason why this is happening. You got a big studio, a big headcount to make sure that that thing is as big as possible because they need something big. Like Ghost of Tsushima Legends is great. It's like a high quality multiplayer experience, but it's not very, it's not varied enough to really, you know, break out of, you know, the Sony mainstream. I don't think, you know, I don't think it's going to pull people from Fortnite, you know, or all these other multiplayer experiences. I totally agree. Yeah. And I, I feel like, well, we're going to talk more about multiplayer games, two of them, uh, in just a little while that will add the texture to this, but Michael Centeno wrote in to us on Patreon and said, Hey CDC with Sony acquiring fabric games. I got to ask, what was the point in Sony shutting down Liverpool? If they were just going to reacquire them, there's some corporate politics at play. Curious what you all think. It is an interesting question. Sony shut these guys down. Basically. I'm not saying that fire Sprite is Liverpool entirely, but it's a lot of them. And now, other of the others of them went to Evolution, and then Evolution went to Codemasters, and all that. So there's a lot of them to the wind now. There's no doubt about that. But it is weird, and I think it's got people feeling kind of good. But you know what's confusing is why you wouldn't leverage the announcement of Wipeout Rush to coincide with some kind of revival of Fire Sprite with the spirit of Wipeout and the spirit of Liverpool and Cygnosis. There's just all these missed opportunities, but I digress on all of that. I do agree, Michael, that it is strange, and I would have to really carefully 
think about this, but I do think it is the first time that a studio as its own silo went and bought another team and combined itself with it in PlayStation's history. Yeah. There are teams that were spun off. Well, there are teams that were rebranded like Cambridge. Sony Cambridge was rebranded Gorilla Cambridge and stuff like that. But I don't think that I don't think there's any, been any vassal states like this before. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, a little interesting bit of a wrinkle as well. But Scott McDonald wrote in and said, uh, McDonald didn't want to put the D in the extra D in there. Says, hi, well, you can get a little extra D if you want. Hi, all hope you are well. I came across a clip from Sacred Symbols Plus or a Sacred Symbols Plus episode that was aired back in April. In this clip, Colin was talking about how he was worried about the future of PlayStation. I was just wondering, do you still feel this way? Have your feelings improved since September PlayStation Showcase? Do you have any potential strategies that PlayStation could implement in the short term that could drastically affect the long term too? I appreciate everything you do. Thank you, Scott. So I want to be clear that there's no way I, I said anything to the point of like, I'm worried about the future of, of PlayStation's like viability. I just want to be clear about that. But yeah, I was worried. I was worried earlier this year. It was weird. And I'm still feeling a little bit weird, but I'm not feeling as weird. Yeah. I feel like things are a little better. Chris, do you agree that? Things are imp- the the, I mean things have been the same. I guess we just didn't know about them. But optically, are you feeling better? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I think PlayStation is in a better spot than they were. You know, I th- I think the the release of some games helps. <laughs> you know, the fact that like you know we've actually played a decent amount of you know the stuff that the PlayStation Five has to offer, and we've got all this stuff on the horizon that's like not as close. Oh, oh. It's not as close as uh, maybe we would have hoped for, but at least we know it's coming and we have a pretty, you know, good reason to believe that it's all going to be really great. And also, we just had that showcase, you know, which also helped a ton because they they were really silent for a long time. And that doesn't really, you know, I'm sure there's like some mystique there that, you know, does have some value in some weird, like non-quantifiable way. But I think ultimately... You know, it leads to a lot of confusion and a little bit of frustration, and I just think it's a different situation now. It is still a little weird. There are some things that, uh, you know, aren't exactly, like, even just this this weird acquisition is just like, oh, interesting, I don't know what's going on. It's not necessarily bad, you know, it's just weird. Right. Interesting. Right. Yeah, um, that's exactly right. And mm-hmm. Dustin, I'm curious what you make of this i i i want to put on the record i think sony should stop here this is they don't need to acquire anything else now they bought four teams this year it it kind of it's kind of surprising but it happened and i feel like now is the time to nurture them now is the time to invest in what you already have now is the time to create those strategic second party relationships but I don't want Sony really my, personally. I don't think Sony has any need for any other studio right now. And maybe something pops up where it's like, oh, I guess that makes sense. But we're getting into the territory now where and we were talking about this a few weeks ago with others where. I don't want Sony buying big entities and we, we brought up Focus Home Interactive before, and I was thinking that that is the line above which I think anyone buying anything sucks. That's the line above that. Like above a double A kind of $50 million, $100 million entity, right? Like that's cool. And then developers that are worth half a billion dollars, whatever or less, like that's cool. If those become on the market, like WB has been shopping, but 
generally speaking, I don't think there's any need for Sony to buy anymore. I don't want them to buy anymore. I won't be disappointed if they don't buy anymore. And they should certainly not buy anything that will take something away from others. Yeah. Because I think that's the quick way to making enemies. Mm-hmm. And you want to keep the optics in your favor. But Dustin, I'm railing on and on here. How are you feeling about the general, the general kind of nature of things now that we have 16 internal teams? Sure. So thinking back to that clip, the famous clip that we put out, which that clip is awesome because I almost say nothing in it and I look like I'm in the principal's office getting yelled at. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a great clip. But I think that a lot of the things that we were concerned about, I think still stand. They're just not necessarily in the forefront of, of what's going on. We've been fed some other things that kind of put those concerns in the back of our minds. There's still the new mindset of Sony, the blockbuster mentality. There's still the idea of the last of us remake and really milking these properties into oblivion. And we've not really thought about any of those major concerns that happened at the time because they were so far out. So yeah, it's hard to think, uh, you know, to still think in that mindset that we had just because we've gotten other things. I think that overall the, 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 the prospect is, is better, but I'm just curious about the way that Sony handles themselves, even in the, not the immediate future, but the future that is closest that we don't know about, right? Like we know about some early 2022, but I feel like there's not a lot of far future things and with the closure of, of Sony Japan um, or studio Japan and this focus on these, these big games, you know, we hopefully that, that charm that we were concerned about losing uh, in that video uh, isn't, isn't fully gone. And I think that a lot of those questions we had are, are still not answered. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. It's exciting in a way because there are there's a lot unknown, but you kind of want to just know something. And I will say that as far as acquisitions are concerned, I don't even know who their next target would be because Herman Holst kind of left the door open that they're they're continuing to look and, and are interested. And I think that that's obvious just because we're in such a mergers and acquisition phase right now that Sony would just be stupid not to get involved. I just I just I really think they have to take care of the culture of what they're building and they're doing a really nice job. That's why I think that buying teams that you're familiar with, which is pretty much only what they do is the best way to go. And why I think it's weird when others go out and buy teams, they have really no history, no exclusive history with. I will say that one team I think got away and this is a team that I think I was a little more skeptical of, but now I'm coming around to the possibilities, which was ready at dawn. Hmm. Not for the order, but just for the VR stuff. Like, I wonder if Sony looks at that and says, like, damn, we really we had a relationship with them. We we had the cultural connection. Those guys used to work. A lot of those guys worked at Naughty Dog. So there's a cultural connection there that already existed. And the studio we're going to talk about next is the only other team I can really think of that maybe I wouldn't be surprised. And so let's get into this. Number three. As we've discussed on this show for months, a new Twisted Metal game is completely inevitable. Why? Because PlayStation Studios' sister vertical, PlayStation Productions, is currently developing a high-budget action comedy TV series for one of its oldest IP, 
and one would surely not come without the other, similar to HBO's The Last of Us likely coinciding in some way with the rumored Last of Us remake, though that remains to be seen. Back to Twisted Metal. Trusted website Video Games Chronicle reports that a Twisted Metal revival game is indeed in development, and it's being led by none other than Sony's second-party partner, Lucid Games. Lucid is a British team with a long history working alongside Sony, having ported Vita games early on and working alongside other teams to later port games to PS4. However, it was, it was their one-time PlayStation 5 launch game turned 2021 release Destruction All-Stars that constituted their first big-budget solo-developed game. The Twisted Metal-like vehicular combat game arrived on PS5 with a dud, though it was free on PlayStation Plus during its, its launch month of February as well as in March, giving it a healthy player base. It seems now that Destruction All-Stars may have been a test run for this far more important game to come. This new Twisted Metal, apparently early in development and aiming for a PlayStation 5 launch in 2023 alongside the TV show, will be free to play. I'm sorry, this news, not surprisingly, hasn't sat well with Twisted Metal's original designer and industry veteran David Jaffe, who said on a stream as relayed by VGC in part, quote, Let's be clear, Sony owes me nothing. Our relationship ended somewhere in late 2018, but I will say that emotionally it feels shitty, if any of this is true, to not have been contacted at all, end quote. He notes that he assumes he's burned bridges due to his commentary over the past few years, which has been popular with fans but unpopular in industry circles, but will be happy to help and consult if needed, and that the producers of the TV show have in fact been in touch with him to ask for his blessings on things and so on. Twisted Metal, which launched alongside PS1 in the West in November of 1995, is one of the franchise is one of the brand's most I'm sorry, is one of the franchises most associated with Sony's brand early in gaming. The original was followed by a sequel in 1996 and a third and fourth game in 1998 and 1999, respectively, all on PS1. The seminal game in the franchise, Twisted Metal Black, came to PS2 early in its life cycle in 2001, and that was ported in heads-on form to PSP in 2005. Twisted Metal was last seen, called simply Twisted Metal, on PS3 in 2012, where it sputtered out alongside a lot of other Sony first- and second-party games that were released en masse during this era. Think Starhawk, PlayStation All-Stars, etc. Dustin. Yes. This rumor is interesting. Now, Lucid, I think, is the only other studio that you could conceive of them buying, but I don't think you should. I don't see why you would, but this is obvious. I mean, I was confused why Destruction All-Stars was Destruction All-Stars. Now it seems that maybe they were going to make a Twisted Metal game, and what my theory is here is that to align the stars, they were told, like, you make this instead. And we'll use that as a test bed for Twisted Metal when it's better incubated so we can release everything together. I mean, that's that seems to be a well-organized belief, but it remains to be seen. What do you think about this rumor from GGC about Lucid working on Twisted Metal free-to-play? Well, it seems like it's a way to probably cut some corners, not in a negative way, but on development, where you can ask Lucid, be like, hey, you already have some of the the base mechanics, your engine's suited for vehicular combat so let's use destruction all-stars as a base to make a free-to-play twisted metal game and i would assume that that would cut down on both development time and cost so but it's a little interesting that they would go all in on a twisted metal show and then pick the team that recently made a game like this that didn't seem like people were very into and then have them do it again, but different, like different characters. I know Twisted Metal, there's, I don't, 
I don't think that in Destruction All-Stars, your your cars aren't shooting anything. I know it's a different, there's different mechanics in it, but it's definitely yeah. destruction car-based combat. So yeah. I'll be curious to see what what level of budget this game has and what Sony is putting into it and what they expect from it. It's, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I'm looking at... <laughs> They have like a 63 on Metacritic for a Destruction All-Stars. I just think, and it's, by the way, it was basically free. I mean, it was it required yeah. no investment. It was supposed to be, as you'll recall, $70. And they made it free on PlayStation Plus for 60 days. Included with PlayStation Plus. Place, yeah, I'm sorry. You're right. Included with PlayStation Plus. Very well done. Thank you for checking me on that. You're welcome. But Chris, <laughs> does this speak at all to what you were talking about, about the need for multiplayer games, a free-to-play, multiplayer, twisted metal game? I know for a fact I've recommended that in the past, but I also don't think that it's that out of the out of the box where I don't think someone would just stumble upon that idea and realize that it's pretty good. I, I When you look yeah. at games like Rocket League and others, I just feel like there's a nice little possible fusion here. Also, the revival of Twisted Metal will speak to the nostalgia of PlayStation. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think it's a good IP to do something with. I think it has a, le- a legacy on PlayStation that's really important. It's one that I remember, like, really fondly from back in the day. And that Destruction All-Stars game is curious, because you're right in a way that it would probably, like, keep development costs down if that wasn't, in fact, the case, because you could just monetize your practice, you know? So, like, mm-hmm. I could understand why that might be, like, might have been an enticing pitch. Like, hey, we'll build you know, the framework and then, you know, put this skin on it as a free to play. Maybe we'll make some money on it and then like we'll have something ready for when this uh, project is fully incubated. I think it's an interesting strategy. It's a bit unorthodox, I think. I don't think that's necessarily what's happened, but I do think it's the right way to go in the sense of you do want something free to play. You do want multiplayer to start um being a facet of playstation's identity more so than it has been in the last you know generation certainly and i think twisted metal is a fine ip to try it out with i also just wonder how well twisted metal as a gameplay concept holds up on its own i think rocket league is great but i think rocket league is also great because it's a team-based game with a lot of physics at play and I don't know if Twisted Metal was really ever about physics or teamwork. Uh, and I think those aspects really are what helped Rocket League kind of propel itself. And they're going to have to really not innovate on Twisted Metal, but they're going to have to change it up a little bit. Because I think we what we saw with um, the PS3 iteration was, it was a fun game, but very clearly old you know it's a very clearly old style of game not that that's a bad thing i love old games but like i'm just saying like as a as a general like pitch to the overall you know free-to-play base you're gonna have to have something that's a little bit more modern a little bit more dynamic and if they can do that with twisted metal if they can get some interesting physics play into twisted metal if they can maybe innovate a little bit that maybe the characters do the thing that they do in destruction all-stars where they can get out of their cars i don't know i don't know if that's something that people would want but they got to do something that is more than just twisted metal again if they want this to kind of really be the thing that i think they're hoping it will be i wonder what you guys think of jaffe being upset about this i'm just curious he's a friend of mine personal friend of mine i don't want to 
get too deep into it, but I wonder, Dustin, what you think about his kind of being offended by not being consulted. I, I understand where he's where he's coming from simply because it's probably pretty tough to see two franchises now that you basically helped create living again without you. And I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to see that happen, you know, without my input. I think that it requires a little bit of the swallowing of the pride, especially Twisted Metal, which I think is much more associated with him um, than God of War. What do you think? Well, I like how he put it. I'm, I'm reading his quote here. Let's be clear. Sony owes me nothing. And he goes on and says, well, but this is how I feel emotionally. And there's a huge amount of uh, respect that I have for people that can organize their thoughts and feelings separately and work through those. And so, yeah, Jaffe very clearly states like they don't have they don't need to call me. I don't own Twisted Metal. Obviously, he's a huge part of that legacy. He created it. So, yeah, it definitely would feel shitty. And I think that it would be in their best interest to at least talk to him and maybe have some light consulting uh, work done. But again, at the same time, it's the the duality of the, the logic and the feeling like maybe they're just very much like this is a new twist of metal. We Sony wants us to use this IP and. We don't even know what the show looks like. For all we know, it is only Twisted Metal in name and character names. It could be totally different. And so that's mm -hmm. why for the game, they may, may be thinking, we don't want to consult with Jaffe because it is going to be so different from his creation that maybe we wouldn't want his feedback because we want to really do our own thing. And so at that point, that's just up to, at the end of the day, when we see the full product whether or not we agree with that direction and like it or not. We'll find out. I do, you know, in talking about Lucid, don't want to insult them too much. They made a really great game that I recommend. And uh, I didn't play the sequel. It's not even on Vita, but the first one was on Vita. Jacob Jones and the Bigfoot Mystery, which was like a little adventure game that they made. It was supposed to be episodic. It was super cool. And uh, it came out in 2013. And I really thought it was cute. But the sequel only came to iOS and Android, so I never got to finish it. Okay. Number four. The mystery surrounding God of War Ragnarok's release timing may revolve mostly, if not entirely, around injuries and subsequent surgeries experienced by the actor who plays protagonist Kratos, Christopher Judge. Word comes by way of some pretty candid tweets from Judge himself, who said the following in part, quote, I need to be forthcoming. This has been approved by no one. To the beloved fandom, Ragnarok was delayed because of me. August 2019, I couldn't walk, had to have back surgery, both hips replaced and knee surgery. They waited for me to rehab. No threats, no who do you think you are, nothing but love and support. And Santa Monica Studio has never said a word about the delay and what caused it. Studios are assholes, but this company from top to bottom should give us hope, end quote. Ragnarok, which is a follow-up to the 2018 PS4 exclusive reboot of God of War, was first teased in 2019 and revealed in 2020. It was due for a 2021 release date and was assumed to have missed it, missed it due to COVID, which is probably also true. Nonetheless, that judge's injuries also played a role is indeed news, and we'll continue to hope that the 2022 release window will be hit. God of War, which began on PlayStation 2 in 2005, was followed by a PS2 native sequel in 2007 and a third game on PS3 in 2010. Santa Monica Studio has only made God of War games other than their very first title, the obscure PS2 racing game Kinetica. And though stumbling with PS3's multiplayer God of War game Ascension, recovered mightily with 2018's Norse reimagining of God of War. Cole Huskar wrote in and said, hi, ponies and Xbox. 
Patreon since February and first time writing in. Thank you, Cole. I assume you know the news of Christopher Judge saying God of War Ragnarok was delayed because of him having hip surgery in 2019. I can't help to think that someone is lying here. Why did Sony announce in 2020 the release date to be 2021 when Chris Judge had already been in sur- had surgery in 2019? Did Sony blatantly lie about releasing the game in 2021 when it already had been internally delayed since Kratos himself had hip surgery? I don't know that I want to be so conspiratorial about this, but I think it's worth talking about, Chris. Mm-hmm. We've discussed in the past that we think that publishers often announce release dates that they know they're not going to hit on purpose. The reason they do this is to generate hype and interest, but also potentially to generate pre-orders and pre-sales, which go into certain quarters that they're trying to hit financially. There's all sorts of reasons why they do it. Yeah. I don't know that Sony has any reason to do something like that, but to play devil's advocate, they did kind of just strangely announce it with a logo. They didn't even name it. So do you think that there was like some sort of like, I don't know, pulling the shades over something here? Or do you think that that's a coincidence? Because I, I could imagine a situation where he wasn't necessarily needed because they can build maybe the game around him. Maybe he already did some mocap. Does it also not potentially talk about uh, uh, potentially explain why the boat animation is the same? <laughs> maybe Ooh. that could that could be. <laughs> it always comes well, back to minds. the boat animation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. This is a little bizarre if because the timeline isn't exactly adding up like like. Cole said like I'm sure that maybe they had an even earlier release date that they were maybe hoping to hit and then you know COVID happened and then you know COVID happened on top of this hip replacement thing which pushes it into like a year that they really didn't intend for I could see uh I could see all of that maybe happening you know in such a way that nobody really has to be lying but at the same time I do think that they definitely announced the release date in 2021 knowing that they wouldn't hit that like we all knew it the second we saw it like i think it was like literally the first thing i said after that showcase was like that's not that is not going to sorry i was counting on my hands that, that was really that was really off. I, I thought you were like timing down to something like and I, I, oh, no, no, I was really counting. Nervous. I was sorry. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a visual counter. No, no. You, I was just counting because we, we knew it because that would have only been three years. It just it's so quick. Yeah. You know, in that's true. But also, like, I think about, again, how much of that game is kind of built on what came before, you know, like like you said, the boat animations and and overall character models, like not necessarily changing that much. And, and you know, it, it's a very consistent game. I don't think it has a lot of room to improve. You know, uh, that was what I was saying, like when when people right, were right. complaining about the boat animation in the first place. So I could conceivably see a sequel to God of War being made in a fraction of a time, in a fraction of the time it took to make the first one, purely because so many assets and so many, so much of the groundwork is done from having created this new experience that's so different from the series that predates it. I think, um, I think it wouldn't be surprising to me that they probably could have gotten it done in maybe three years, maybe even less than that. But I do think... A pandemic happening in addition to this obviously detrimental situation involving like an actor in a game very very performance driven very very motion capture driven that that could have probably pushed it way way further than they might might have anticipated it but i do think still 
that they announced 2021 knowing that they wouldn't hit it purely because I think they saw that Xbox was getting a lot of positive buzz and you got to remain competitive. You have to show what is going to be on your machine. And yeah, maybe 2021 doesn't pan out, but at least people know that God of War is coming. They know what it's called. They know what to look out for. And in fairness to them, they didn't announce it like super early, you know, like it's not like they're, they announced it three years before we saw anything of it like in fact it was a pretty relatively quick turnaround from the teaser announcement to the gameplay footage you know so i don't think it's necessarily super egregious i think they just wanted to end on something big uh just so they could you know have something there to be like the talk of the town the big punch for their show and i think that's ultimately what that was um and i think it worked but I, i don't know this this is just a very weird thing because it it, a lot there's a lot of context that's just missing like we don't know what the development of this thing was like we don't know how long it would have taken the the pandemic is the really weird like non-control factor here you know where we just we won't ever know like what these years would have looked like without that that whole thing and and i think you're right in the sense that the structure that's there is the most time-consuming thing that they would have had to build. Yeah. And could potentially, I think, Dustin, explain how they're doing this because it could be that Christopher Judge wasn't needed because at, at the time because the the only mocap he might be doing is for cutscenes. And they could build around that. If they have all the motion data they need from the original game, and remember, it's running on PS4, so it's not like they need to capture it with more dots all over his head because they can do... Like they have to go towards the lowest common denominator in this in this sense. So I was really thinking carefully about it. I'm like, you could imagine a situation where he was the sequel is announced. They started working on it. They started building it. Maybe he got into the mocap studio. Then he got sick or had his injuries. They continue to work on the game. And I kind of feel like the boat animation, even though it's funny to come back to this over and over again, it kind of does explain why that might be. You know, and why you might be not worried about doing that, because maybe it'll come be explained later. Like, listen, guys, we made this under some trying circumstances. We couldn't get Kratos in the mocap studio. I don't think that's a great excuse. I think you just get someone else in the mocap studio. But anyway, what do you think about this? Yeah, the the timeline is definitely a, a little odd, but I, I think you're right. It's it feels weird to speculate into it too much. And Sony's never going to come out and be like, well, actually, we didn't delay the game, but thanks for making us look really great. Like, clearly, this is a very positive look for Sony Santa Monica. So I wouldn't see them correcting the record at all on this. (laughs) But it would also make it seem like he's out of the loop, which would just make him look stupid. So there's right to do that to him. Right. Exactly. But I don't know. I think that Chris is right, though, that they knew that this game wouldn't come out in, in 2021. I would love for like somebody to like, I would love to know someone for, they would never be able to say it like Santa Monica, like in a few years, like, yeah, we knew we weren't going to hit that. Has there ever been an example of developers admitting that they knew that a game was not going to hit a date when announced? Surely Rocksteady knew with Arkham Knight and that delay. I do. I, I think that, it's cagey to admit that because it could be fraud, right? Oh. Like you're, um, if you knowingly lie in marketing, that's illegal. Interesting. So yeah, I, I think there's ways around it and be like wink and nod kind of shit. And you might have some production documents saying, yeah, that was the intention, you know, but 
I think a lot of this stuff kind of knowingly happens, and I think it sucks, which is why I don't get so excited about early announcements because we have to wait for so long. I mean, think about how long Tales of Arise was fucking... We were just talking about that game earlier, how long that game was just percolating. It's like, God mm. almighty. They used to make two Tales games in the time that this game was announced before it came out. Yeah. And a lot of these announcement trailers, these CG announcement trailers specifically, are just to, just to attract talent to the studio, you know, to build the game. Like, a lot of the time, this shit's not even remotely done. <laughs> That does happen. Yeah. It is true. Number five. We've long wondered what Sony-owned Team Gorilla is doing with some of its shooter-centric talent. It's been storing away for years, but we now have a better idea. And it's, idea none, it's an idea none of us really considered. Gorilla, which was once known as Lost Boys, has a heritage in the AAA space with shooters, helming Sony's Killzone FPS franchise for nearly a decade. However, they transitioned to the third-person action RPG space with 2017's Horizon Zero Dawn. And it's now been eight years since they released their last shooter, 2013's PS4 launch game Killzone Shadowfall. It's been suggested that perhaps Guerrilla is working on a Rainbow Six Siege-like shooter, having hired the director of that game two years ago. And some wonder if they could be, if that could possibly be SOCOM. However, work done by website Video Games Chronicle indicates that Guerrilla is indeed hiring for a multiplayer game, but that it's possibly for a Horizon multiplayer spinoff. The biggest clue is actually buried in VGC's story. They, quote, understand that the studio has long planned to expand Horizon into multiplayer, although officially it's said that the upcoming sequel, Forbidden West, will not contain such a feature. Sources had previously told VGC that co-op was initially planned for the first Horizon game, but was ultimately scrapped so the development team could focus on other areas of the game, ellipsis. Sources said that Sony has been keen to, to, to include co-op in the game's sequel, but Guerrilla decided to save the feature for a future project, which they believed would either be a standalone spinoff or Horizon 3. If it's the former, progress will likely carry over to the next Horizon game, we were told, end quote. More immediate clues are present in the job postings for the team. One seeks a so-called so, uh, senior social systems designer, uh, someone, quote, with a passion for player communities and social features who can explore creative ways players can connect with others in-game to engage players in social interactions to create lasting relationships where compatible players can create guild-like groups to explore together, end quote. VGC uncovered another listing for a writer and designer packing, quote, extensive knowledge of stories and narrative design in open world RPG games, online games, and MMORPGs, end quote. Just what's going on at Gorilla outside of work on Horizon's eagerly anticipated sequel, Forbidden West, remains to be seen, but now we have some clues to work with. As for Forbidden West itself, the game launches on both PS4 and PS5 February 18th, 2022. Nadan Patil wrote in, said, hello, beautiful boys. BGC recently reported about job listings coming out of Guerrilla Games that hinted at an online multiplayer game in development at the studio. Do you guys think that this long-rumored FPS game either is a multiplayer component or a car offering, or is it Horizon, or maybe a multiplayer mode for Forbidden West or something similar to Legends and Ghost of Tsushima? With more than 350 employees, the possibilities out of Sony's premier Europe, Europe, European studio are endless. My, I, I'm not even able to say the word European. That's how hard it is for me to do that. <laughs> it's rough. Now, this is really interesting to me, Chris, because I don't know why I never considered this. I remember the earlier rumors about how Horizon was being bandied around as a multiplayer game and a co-op game. And then I know that they wanted to work that into the sequel. And for some reason, I just kind of let that go because I figured that they realized they hit on the PlayStation classic PlayStation single player formula. They're like, fuck it, who cares? But like you said, with Legends, they're looking into doing different things. and could it be that we're going to get a Horizon sing or, I'm sorry, a Horizon standalone multiplayer game? 
I wouldn't necessarily be surprised, but I would also have to wonder, like, so we're talking about this in the context of specifically FPS expertise, right? We're talking about this in the, in the, in with you know names like SOCOM kind of floating around, and right. and just the idea of um, you know, a, an FPS by Gorilla, which would make a lot of sense. That is like where their history is, and and it would also make sense with Sony's seeming focus on like trying to get something going in the realm of multiplayer which they haven't had for a long time but i just wonder does horizon as as it stands as it is does that gameplay lend itself to pvp it might i have no idea i obviously ghost of tsushima legends works perfectly fine and you know they're both kind of comparable but do you want a, do you want a horizon multiplayer game that is another third person kind of like climbing grapple hook you know bow and arrow type you know what i mean like i feel like ghost of Tsushima legends and horizon as is if they were both multiplayer experiences would be like weirdly similar Mm. to the point where like i'm not sure what they would be making if not a horizon fps but that would be weird also because horizon's not an fps and also there are these things don't i i'm having a hard time envisioning that i don't know about you guys but no i i agree yeah so i i really have no idea what they could be doing i i don't like what's your feeling on like the possibility of this being so common like i i don't i don't know how i feel i don't know i don't know i mean i i'm just kind of shocked that they would want to run horizon into the ground like this and i wouldn't be surprised if it was not so calm or not kill zone but horizon don't become the horizon studio i don't want them to become the horizon studio yeah so that's kind of how i feel about it it's more wishful thinking that this is anything else because i agree with you it is weird and it's a great point and dustin i want you to elaborate on this i mean chris makes an awesome point about legends kind of in some way syncing up with this and i don't know a vgc is very reliable so I, 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 my hope is, is that they're planning on something like this. It's just one of those free updates to Forbidden West and not like Legends was for Ghost of Tsushima and not something full-fledged like Factions is probably going to be because I just don't... Factions is like one of those things where you can really demand a full-fledged game from that. People want it, but no one wants that out of Horizon. I don't, I don't think. Maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Let me put out a pitch for you guys. Chris mentioned about it being too similar to Ghost of Tsushima Legends. And I can see that. I see Chris's point. But I think that there could be a space where you could do something very interesting, specifically in terms of co-op. Something that I could envision is something called like Horizon Hunters or something. And it's a Monster Hunter-like game, but paired with the gameplay of horizon and the world of horizon where you and two or three other people are go on missions to specifically hunt out like giant robot dinosaurs. And one of the most unique aspects of horizons gameplay is how you use the tools that are available to you, the traps and being able to 
pick off certain armor points of these giant robots in order to effectively take them out. And I really think that could easily be expanded upon to include co-op elements where you have one person who's setting the trap, one person who's doing DPS, one person who's luring someone else in. So I don't know this is just my like hypothetical fantasy horizon multiplayer mode. But my point overall is that I think that there's opportunity where they could make it stand out where this fits in with their lineup. I, I really don't know. I I would I would hate to see it be a, a standalone thing just because we already see Naughty Dog doing a standalone multiplayer game for The Last of Us. I think this would fit in nicely like a Ghost of Tsushima Legends experience where it's something that's added and maybe something that they could then turn a single player game into something more monetizable, whether it's with additional hunts, additional skins or costumes for the characters, whatever. I think that Sony's definitely interested in this idea of adding multiplayer modes that are good, that are also make single player games more monetizable in the future than just one off expansion packs and DLC. Yeah, it, it, nothing really left to be said about that other than the reminder that an opportunity taken is infinite, opportunity is lost, and we just have to decide as a fan base, I guess, what we would prefer. Well, maybe we don't have to decide as a fan base, but we have all our individual answers is what we would prefer to them to be working on, and my ideal is for them to make something new, and definitely not Horizon. I mean, I like Horizon a lot. I think it's awesome, but we are, we're about to get a new Horizon. Like, yeah. Give us Killzone back at least. All right, number six. October's PlayStation Plus games have been revealed, and it's a bit of a lackluster list. As always, here's the rub. If you have an active PlayStation Plus subscription, you can download these games free of charge from October 5th through November 1st. Remember that you should add these games to your download list, even if you don't intend on playing them now or soon, as you can always check them out later if your account is still active. So here's what we have. On PlayStation 5, players will receive Tactical FPS Hell Let Loose from a team called Black Matter, the game actually launched on PC already and will be free at launch for PS Plus subs. Over on PlayStation 4, the, 4, the offerings are a little softer. Fighting game Mortal Kombat 10, launched in 2015, is one game you can download, while the other is the more timely golf game PGA Tour 2K21, which came to PS4 in 2020 via Canadian team HB Studio, which you'll recall was purchased by publisher 2K to lead the PGA Tour franchise moving forward. Dustin, anything here for you this month? I'm very curious about this Hell Let Loose game. I'm I'm watching gameplay now and it looks like pretty hardcore. Like this is more on the the simulation side, but I'm really not too aware of it. The PS4 games are are pretty soft, no doubt. There's one one guy in the audience that's really excited about the golf game. So Yeah, the golf but, game, I mean, I'm sure that's going to be great for golf fans, especially because yeah. I don't think they put one out this year. PGA Tour 2K22, I don't think is even a thing. So it gets people involved so that when they release the next PGA game, I, I imagine that that's a pretty nice one for quite a few people. Right. But yeah, the Mortal Kombat one is weird because there's that's not even the newest Mortal Kombat game, I don't, right? And is that the newest Mortal Kombat game? I think Mortal the Kombat newest Kombat? is 11. 11, right. Yeah. yeah. And then and then Hell at Loose, yeah, it's cool, but way too hardcore for me. It reminds me of like those sniper games. Well, it's not like this, but it reminds me of those sniper games where you have to like, arc the trajectory of your bullet and shit <laughs> like that like, i'm, not, I'm not doing that yeah. i'm not fucking doing that if i shoot in a straight line that's where i'm shooting the bullet it's a video game 
Chris, anything here for you? Uh, no, <laughs> nothing. This Fair is enough. uh, you know, I I've played Mortal Kombat ten. I like I don't need, I don't need it again. Fair enough. Number seven. There's always news for GTA. F- I'm sorry. There's awesome news always for GTA fans hoping recent rumors of a Grand Theft Auto remaster trilogy were true. They've been raided by the South Korean Games Rating Board, confirming that these games are in fact coming. Though the rumored 2020 2021 launch window doesn't seem to be true. These games are instead marked for launch in 2022. Nothing else is known about what the nature of this product is, except its name. It'll apparently be called Grand Theft Auto, the Trilogy, the Definitive Edition. And the title suggests that these games will be more than mere ports of GTA 3, Vice City, and San Andreas that are playable right now on PS4 and PS5 with trophies, but otherwise untouched. Grand Theft Auto 5, which launched in 2013 and has surpassed a shocking 150 million units sold, started much more quietly in the late 90s. GTA and GTA 2 were unremarkable top-down games, but when Grand Theft Auto 3 came to PlayStation 2 in the fall of uh, 2001, I said 2021, third-person games, action games, sandbox games, non-linear games, they were all changed forever. GTA 3 was followed by Vice City in 2002 and San Andreas in 2004. Sadly, Grand Theft Auto 4, launched on PS3 in 2008, remained stranded on that console for PlayStation gamers. Really nice to see that ported. Yeah. With the DLC, that's a great game. I don't know that there's much to say here, Chris, but it's nice to have the confirmation that we're yeah. getting these games. No platforms, though. So, I mean, obviously, it's going to come to PlayStation, but uh, will you jump back into these? I think so. Like, it, it depends on how definitive this edition is. You know what I mean? Because, it's the like, definitive, it's, Chris. It is the, it is Grand Theft Auto colon, colon the trilogy colon the definitive edition. Yeah, I hate that. I hate the double colon <laughs> shit. I hate it. It's a, not not only is it a double colon, it's a double the, which right. is extra egregious. But, you know, it. I've played San Andreas recently, and it does not, you know, it's it's a fun, nostalgic thing, but it does not hold up super well. It's, it's a miserable slog to, like, actually sit down and play. So, like, if this definitive edition, colon, the definitive edition, is tweaked in such a way that it makes it play a little bit more modern, at the very least, just, like, moving around, because... If moving around in your game is is annoying, that's that's my I feel like it's a fair bar to be like, all right, I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not going to touch this. So I think I, I will check it out out of curiosity. And as long as they do update the controls in a way that like makes it a little bit more bearable, because I kind of missed out on a lot of these games. Like I didn't really play like I played San Andreas at like my cousin's house, like briefly. And, and really, I would just like put cheats in. And I think I've put a total of like maybe like three hours total into Grand Theft Auto San Andreas at, at my cousin's house in the in the years that I was playing it at his house. And really, I only started with Grand Theft Auto Four, so it'll be nice to go back to these games and see them a little bit more touched up because I haven't really experienced them. Like I know, like you know, follow the damn train, you know, and, and all that stuff. But it, it'll be nice to go back to uh, these games in a more modern way. Dustin, yes. Do you have any heritage with the the GTA trilogy on PS2? I I have a deep heritage with them. I will agree with what Chris says though. I haven't played Vice City and San Andreas in a long time, but I did buy. I bought them all on PS4 when they came out. But I um, I played GTA 3 back in maybe 2019, and I was like, I can't do this. I I played it for probably 10 hours. I got to the scene where you are famous scene because it sucks, but. Like you're you're sniping at people on a boat and I'm like, oh, my God, this is awful. And and what I was just thinking just it's similar to what I've been saying about Metal Gear Solid 2 recently, where just 
fix the controls. You don't really even have to do anything else. I don't even care about the graphics. It's actually quite endearing. Yeah. But the controls are just so bad. So what's your heritage with these? Are you going to check them out? I have very little heritage with these games. I've same situation as Chris and that I would every once in a while play them at friend's house. But San Andreas is one that I've never even touched. And here's the thing. When I mention that to people, people say, oh, you got to go and play this game now. I'm like, maybe not. Like, I've seen the, the YouTube videos. Yeah. yeah, it's <laughs> like. I I think that a lot of people really and maybe I'm wrong. I, I I maybe it's still holds up perfectly, but to me anytime I see these games, I appreciate them. I know that they were complete trailblazers in the in the terms of open world games. I don't think they hold up anymore. They don't look like they hold up. And the the few times that I've like checked out like GTA 3 it it just doesn't seem like it's quite there anymore. So this is the perfect package if they really do go. And like Chris said, how definitive is it? That'll be the question. Well, hopefully maybe Q1, PS4, PS5. Yeah. We'll see. Want to see those trophies too. Yeah. The trophy lists weren't bad in the uh, PS4 ports, so maybe they'll be the same. All right, number eight. I saw no one talking about this, so I had to give this a little bit of shine in our news story, although I don't, or our news section rather, uh, but I don't know if you guys will have anything to say, but I definitely wanted to give a shout out here. Number eight, though it seems few people are talking about it, a new publisher has formed, and it could represent a promising new model for independent style developers to pool together and create something more robust and that demands more respect. According to website gamesindustry.biz, the new publisher is called Kepler Interactive. They've raised more than $100 million in funding, and they have seven founding members, which are all independent developers you've likely heard of. A44 is a studio in New Zealand known for its action RPG, Ashen, which came to PS4 in 2019. Alpha Channel is a Canadian team working on a game called Tankhead. Awaseb is a New, New Caledonia-based team that just announced their action-adventure game, Chia, for PS4 and PS5 for launch in 2022. Eb Software is a Serbian team working on a survival horror game, Scorn, which isn't announced for PlayStation platforms. Shape Farm is a Japanese studio with lots of license experience, including in games for the Samurai Jack and Naruto franchises. Slowcap is the French team most recently responsible for the Kung Fu game Sifu. And finally, Timberline Studio is an American team most recently responsible for survival game The Red Lantern, which isn't available on PlayStation platforms. There's not much to say here, but I just wanted to give them a shout out. It's a cool idea. They all got together. It all sounds like they all have equal shares and they're bringing more devs in so we might see a collective growing here not unlike what i feel like devolver was trying to do originally in some in some sense not literally but figuratively in terms of being there for the indie yeah. protecting the indie endorsing the indie etc and finally number nine is a brief wrap-up website Kamasa reports that toy soldiers hd on ps4 has again been delayed this time to october 21st there's something wrong with that game while roguelike game metal dogs comes to playstation 4 at some point this winter Website Push Square reports Halloween-themed 3D platformer Pumpkin Jack comes to PS5 on October 27th. You'll get this upgrade free if you already own it on PS4. The website also reports that Bandai Namco Souls-like RPG. Uh, I didn't even write it here, but it's uh, God, I didn't write. I didn't write the name down. What am I thinking of? Code of uh, Code. What's the one? Code. <laughs> Help me out here, Dustin. Code. Code. Vein. Right. Code Vein. I was gonna say Code Near, but that's not right. I didn't write the name down. Uh, the game sold more than two million copies. A little typo there. Sorry about that. And Square Enix has confirmed the once delayed Life is Strange remastered collection has a new release date and will launch on PS4 February 1st, 2022. And Earth Defense Force 6 has also been delayed. 
I will now launch for PS4 and PS5 sometime in 2022. That's all of the news. Tradition dictates that we end every episode of Sacred Symbols with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas submitted on Patreon, patreon.com slash Media. Remember to support us there like more than 12,500 of you do right now for exclusive ad-free access, the ability to submit those questions, access to Sacred Symbols Plus, get your name in the credits, Q&As, all the rest. We'll start with Jordan Nepp, who says, hello, my dudes. As an older gamer, 35, I'm pretty set in my ways. Always turn my nose at things like Battle Royale. Well, after a couple of years of begging, my friends finally got me to download Apex Legends to play with them, and holy shit, the game is awesome. My question is, are there any games y'all have turned your nose up uh, at only to play it later and realize it was actually fun and wasn't as stupid as you thought? Dustin, has any example come up for you in this regard? I was trying to think about this. Obviously, when I was a kid, like in high school, there would be some elitism about, like, playing call of duty or halo for a while stuff like that um mm-hmm. that was all stupid though i'm trying to something more recent though this may be surprising especially if you listen to our live show but i turned my nose up to both demon souls and dark souls after trying them and just thinking these are too hard i don't get it and this is dumb And I did that repeatedly until Bloodborne came out because clearly in the back of my mind, I knew that something was there. I just didn't get it. And maybe that is a fault of those games is that they are not approachable at all to to newcomers. But these games initially, yeah, I I had uh, issues with them. I thought they were just simply too hard. But in reality, I think they were just so different from other things that I played that I was trying to play them more like more traditional third person action games. And you simply cannot do that with dark souls. What about you, Chris? Do you have any answer for this of something that you might've turned your nose up only to find that it's uh, better than you thought? Well, I mean, famously recently death stranding. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I, I remember before, like, and I've said this before, but like before death stranding came out, I was exci- I was almost excited to make fun of it. Because it was just like, what is, what is this, this brilliant game developer is making a video game about delivering packages? He's making a DHL sim? <laughs> Sounds terrible. Yeah. I, and no, and people sure. were like hyping it up like, this is going to be great. And I was like, you're all crazy. I can't wait to laugh at you. And then I played it, and uh, it was my favorite game that year, I think. <laughs> It was like I've never been more awesome. I've never been more wrong so fast. <laughs> Dude, it, Chris, there's so many things too in that game that I'm remembering. Like the there's Die Hardman. Yeah. Is yeah. The, the character, the homo demons. Like yeah, the there's homo just, demons. The homo demons. There's just so many things <laughs> I'm like I get why people see this it's game. It's metal it's metal gear. Yeah. 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 You're it's, either in or you're out. It's it's really absurd. Uh, that that is that is the example that like comes to mind immediately. I don't I don't have any uh, modern console games like physically, so it's hard for me to like go through the list of like everything I own and like think about like some stuff. But I I kind of I I remember I didn't like Fallout Three for a long time. Mm. Fallout Three like because I remember I, like that was back you know I I what was that two thousand eight two thousand eight yeah so that was around the time of like that was during halo 3 you know where like and that game plays like it's a it's a first person shooter first it plays really well it feels responsive 
And then my friend was like, hey, come check this out. It's like a, like a first-person RPG. And then you just start off, and you're in a school, and you're, like, taking a test, and it's janky, and, like, it takes forever, and you got to talk to people. I'm like, ah, what the fuck is this? I can't do this. <laughs> and it took me, like, years to come around to uh, Fallout 3. And I, only after I played a little bit of New Vegas was I like, oh, okay, so there's something here, I think, maybe that I wasn't giving, giving a fair shot to. I think in like 2012, I gave it a shot again and really enjoyed it. But those are the two that come to mind, like off the top of my head. I'm sure there's others, but. Well, for me, in thinking about this, the answers that came to mind were just kind of loop based or service shooters that I just generally opened my mind to. I, as I've said in the past, I tried to open my mind to Destiny in 2014 just to play it alone. It just wasn't the right time. But mm -hmm. when. In 2016, I think it was when The Division came out, I went into it immediately, but open-minded and was like, if I can just ignore all the social features of this game that I don't want, there's something really good here. And what I discovered was just to kind of stop turning my nose up at these games as a service or persistent games, because there's there's obviously a fun, there's something fun about these games. And I, I let myself go and really got into The Division, really got into The Division 2, really got into Outriders. These kinds of games I would have never given the time of day to. That's why it's so interesting that I love Outriders so much, not because so many other people think it's not great, but because it's not a Colin game, really. I always loved shooters, but I loved single-player shooters, and they're not common anymore. Single-player first-person shooters were all over the goddamn place, especially from 1994, 1993 to 2010. I mean, we had single-player inversion you know, I mean, there was like games. I mean, the game Haze, obviously, we always talk about. There are games that it's just like, what? Dark Void? Dark Void? Yeah. Dark Void was third person, right? But Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But whatever. Shitty. Legendary? <laughs> Legendary. That's another one. Yeah, there's a ton. Turning Point, Fall so Liberty. So fucking many of them. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. So uh, that's what came to mind for me, Jordan. Thank you for writing in. Paul Cummings wrote in, and this is actually for all of us, although he asked it to me. I have a, a way I want to ask this to you guys. He says, hey, guys, probably a quick question here, mainly for the trophy hound. That is Colin. When a game comes out that you have the intention of platinum, what is your process? Do you research the trophies beforehand? Do you have a good old fashioned pen and paper notes beside you? Do you toggle in and out of the game looking at lists? We'd love to hear how you approach this from a 37 year old with three young kids. You guys keep me in touch with the gaming world at a time when my playtime is very much limited. So thanks for your content and make the episode as long as humanly possible. Thank you, Paul. People have been asking this in different ways a lot lately, and it's funny because I really do do like not a lot of research, but just pre I prepare. I never go into a game without looking at the trophies, and I never go into a game without trying to figure out how to get them. There are games where I tell myself it's irrelevant, right? Like a lot of first party games. It's like I'm playing this one way or the other. Act Razor is actually a good example, too. Not a first party game, obviously, but there is like really hard trophies and I'm not going to get them. Yeah. probably they're just way too time consuming so there are games where you care enough where it's like ah, it doesn't matter but you're still curious but i always look and i always try to conceive of is anything missable How, what's the quickest way to do these kinds of things i do care and i do use walkthroughs and sometimes i do keep lists and the pinning of the trophies that you're allowed to do now on the new firmware is awesome like you can pin i think five trophies actively to the bar and then you can bring it up and look at them really quickly it's a, a nice little thing so that's what i do but i wanted to turn this around and ask the guys just if there's any and we'll start with you chris if there's any do you do any preparation at all? Like not in terms of trophies in this case, but is there like a tradition? Like, do you like sit down with a game and 
do you read about it at all? Do you, or do you really like to go in blind, like totally blind? Cause I'm, I, maybe it's cause I'm a strategy guide writer from the, from way back when, but I like strategy guides. Like I like them. Yeah. I like I, using them. I, I used to like to go in blind, but obviously, you know, given our job here, that's kind of hard to do. Uh, you kind of know about every game like years before, you know, I, I, I kind of wanted to go in blind with Deathloop, but like by the time it was even close to coming out, we had seen like 18,000 trailers for it. And even then it was still not really clear what the hell it was. So <laughs> I don't know, like I, I don't necessarily have a uh, uniform strategy for how I approach every single game. Like games are kind of different to me. Like if, if it's a game that I kind of expect that I'm going to play anyway you know, I, I can imagine most first-party games are going to be games that I play. Like, outside of Nintendo, Nintendo's a little bit hit or miss with, you know, first-party for me. But, you know, if an Uncharted game is going to come out, I'm going to play it. If a Last of Us game is going to come out, I'm going to play it. If a Gears of War game comes out, I'm going to play it. And I'm not going to be super curious about how that game functions or, like, you know what new things are that like i'm not really that concerned about it i'll just kind of go in blind because that i know what uncharted is i know what the last of us is i know what gears is I've, I've played it i can figure it out i'm pretty confident in that but with games that i normally wouldn't otherwise play you know things like even when we were doing the show i uh i don't have that much of a history with rockstar video games like i didn't really play a lot of red dead redemption so there was a chance that if not for the show, I probably wouldn't have played Red Dead Redemption 2, at least for a, a long, long time. But I remember for that game, I looked up a little bit. I was like, all right, this is the sequel to some game. Like, what is it? What is it like? OK, it's a it's a prequel sequel. Interesting. OK. And I kind of read up. I like I I watched some videos like kind of detailing like the first game a little bit just so I could have like some idea. And I did some prep. But it's not uniform. I don't know if I have, like, a specific strategy for everything. It just sort of, like, mm. depends on how interested I am, how I'm feeling, and how excited I am to play the thing in question. Because that was another game, by the way, that I was not expecting to like as much as I did. Red Dead Redemption 2. Oh, my God. That game is a, mass a complete masterpiece in yeah. every way. Dustin, what kind of preparations do you go into or lack thereof? Very little, for the most part. I will often check... Like, if I'm playing a, a not a new release and this data is available, I like to know how long a game is going to be in order to kind of, like, account for timing. Yeah. Like, right now, I know I'm about halfway through Kenna, Kina, whatever. And so... Kana. Uh, Kana. Well, that's a fourth variant. Wow. <laughs> that's a fourth <laughs> pronunciation. So, since I'm about halfway, I think I'm probably gonna skew more towards playing that just so i can finish it up and get it out of the way really at this point other than that though i'm more i like to go in blind and experience the game for myself and then once i get a feel for things i'll kind of then maybe start to poke around a lot of websites do articles that will say five things i wish i would have known when i started yeah, Death stranding yeah. or something like that it's funny you say that because post-release content was like the fucking golden goose. So like we couldn't like if you found the right game and you at IGN and you wrote about it constantly after it came out and then trying to chase that and not creating that like with Minecraft and all of that and kind of chasing it. But finding those games where you man, it's just reliable traffic because people people play games. Right. 
believe it yeah. or not, after the embargo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. also that that whole those articles. Some of those articles are really funny too, because it's like things I wish I would have known when I started up this game and it's like the health bar is here and it's like well yeah oh yeah those aren't always good <laughs> they're all they're oftentimes kind of like really stupid it's like did you know yeah. you can go into the settings and change your controls and it's like yeah, a little bit yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> like i don't know some right. of them are good though like i don't want to like shit on the, the, it's a good it's a good it's a good type of content. It's just like a lot yeah, of it just seems to be like it's really SEO scrapey content, shit. but it can be it can be very useful, no yeah. doubt. Right. Sometimes I feel like I need one right now for Tales of Arise because I feel like I'm missing something in certain aspects, but I can't tell if, all right. I I can't tell if I'm missing something or if there's something wrong with the pacing of the game, which is what we talked yeah. about earlier. I know I know I'm missing something called yeah. very Yeah, I mean I had to get a Seinfeld inside. quote. I had to get a Seinfeld quote in here sometime. We're we're getting over 3 hours here. Yeah, <laughs> you're missing something. Right. And nothing's missing you. <laughs> Fair enough. I just love that quote. You're missing something. It's it's, it's Susan's mom at the table, and it's like, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's it's Mr. Costanza talking about the chicken. He's like, I'm missing something. He's like, missing something. All right, it's a great throwaway line. Okay. Derek Alcott wrote in and said, Colin, I know you mentioned that someone bought you GTA Three who was outside of a store. Would any of you do the same? Does it depend on the age of the kid? So to catch people up in 2001. I was uh, I was actually 17 years old, but you needed a license or ID or something to buy the game at EB, which I guess would require you to be 18. I didn't have an ID at that time, so they wouldn't let me buy the game. It's still and I was saying recently, it's still the only time I was not allowed to buy a game. I bought M rated games all the time. I have no idea why. Well, I know why, because GTA three was so yeah. controversial and they were afraid they were being set up at all, all the time, I think, at these stores. So I literally it was at Smith Haven. Uh, Smith Haven Mall on Long Island for people that are familiar. EB Games, I don't know. I don't I haven't been in this mall in many years, but EB Games was right in the food court. And I walked out. I looked. I remember this because it was so weird. I looked to my left. There was a man, his wife, a toddler and a baby carriage walking like towards me. And I the games were $50 at the time with tax in New York. It was like 54 and change. I was like, sir, if I give you $60, will you just go and buy Grand Theft Auto 3 for me? You can keep the change. And he said, yes. He went in, bought it. And then walked out and gave it to me. And that was how it went. And uh, so that's what Derek is asking. And he asks if we would do the same. And my answer is no. I don't want to be put in that position. I sometimes think about the positions I put older people in. You know, not family, but more like friends. But some family too. Like, you know, sneaking a beer at a barbecue or something like it's a big deal. You know, and like when you're 16 or 15 to do shit like that. And yeah. I don't want to be part of that for like the next generation of kids. So I wouldn't want to do that because I just feel like it's kind of seedy. And if I were my parents, I'd be like, who the fuck is this dude that just bought my kid GTA? You know? So anyway, that's my answer. Chris, where do you stand on this? Would you buy the kid? Would you buy 16 year old Colin? His copy of Grand Theft Auto 3, 17 year old? Uh, No, no, I wouldn't do that. I would not approach a random child. And um, to be fair, know. I approached him. I approach him. <laughs> right, but, fair. Yeah. No, I, I don't think yeah. I would. I, I just, I, I want to be bothered so little whenever I'm in public or whenever I'm in, if, if I'm in like a mall or something, I'm not happy to be in a mall. You know, I'm just there because I need something. I'm trying to get in. I'm, I, I try to get out. Like, I don't spend more than 10 minutes or 15 minutes in a grocery store. Like, I, I'm not the person who meanders around like, I wonder if I... 
oh, maybe maybe they have graham crackers here. Like I'm I'm not like I'm not roaming around these places. I get in and I get out. Right. I don't want to be here. And if anybody maximizes my time in these places, instant enemy. I can't. I can't. If you're if you're a child, you're now my worst enemy now, because you made me stay here way longer than I otherwise would have. I'm not gonna get you a game. Just download it online. <laughs> like, what are you doing? I know that's the other thing is like these are it's almost a more trivial problem these days than it, it used to be. A, I'm sure it used to be a problem. I mean, I, I I was nine or ten when the ESRB came out and that was the only time I had ever gotten a challenge. And then I was an adult, so it didn't really matter. Dustin, would you buy 16 year old Colin Grand Theft Auto 3? No, I just uh, we talk about on like microtransactions, like people need to parent their kids. And so. Some kid comes up to me. I'm not going to be a part of that. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'll buy you cigarettes or something instead. You know, just just, just, just to be nice. Um, the kids need those, too. It's good for them. Uh, builds character. So. Yeah, it's it's just interesting. It's a, it's funny, too, because he was the... I literally walked out of the store, looked to my left, saw someone, asked him, and he did it. It wasn't even like I sat there and tried. It happened. Right. like a, It literally... From the time I walked out of the store until I had that game in my hand was less than a minute. And uh, it's pretty funny to think back about that. But no, I wouldn't do that either. There would be no legal recourse. Like, could could you get in trouble with the law? No, the store would get in trouble because it's the SRB is not even a law. It's it's like an organization. So they they penalize like the store itself. And that's why I think to, to the point I was making earlier, I think that they were afraid of doing it because they were probably getting set up left, right and center. Just like in the 90s, it was really common for. And they make fun of it in Clerks, I think, where people used to like kids used to like get go into stores and like buy cigarettes and beer and then come out and then they would like rat, you know, the people out. And you dude, know. I was terrified of that as a bartender. Uh, like that's scary as fuck, dude. People, yeah. People well, get one, you know, by the goalie. Dude, as a bartender, too, there's some people that are easily annoyed. And if you ask them for their ID, they're like, oh, how like you can clearly tell that they look annoyed by it. And I'm like. I just don't take any chances at all because the fines for illegally serving someone alcohol are not only high for you, but also for the people, the establishment you work for. So, yeah, it's scary stuff. You got to be yeah. you got to be vigilant. Derek, stop being a low life like I was. Thank you for writing in. Zachary Douglas wrote in and said, hey, gents, longtime listener, longtime caller. Wanted to ask what the best use of a licensed song or soundtrack is in video games. When I hear AHA's take on me. Great song. I think of the cover Ellie does in The Last of Us Part 2. Not exactly licensed as a cover, but you get the point. What song does this for you guys? Keep fucking that chicken. Thank you, Zachary, for writing in. Dustin, do you have an answer off the top of your head for this? I actually, I love this question. When I was reading it earlier, I, it was fun to, to think back on some of the great ones. When he said AHA's take on me, I did instantly think of Metal Gear Solid 5 because you can set that as your pickup mm-hmm. helicopter. And it's awesome because you'll just hear the the keyboard as it like flies <laughs> in. It's awesome. But the two that I wanted to mention are the beginning of Metal Gear Solid 5 with uh, Midge Ur's cover of The Man Who Sold the World mm-hmm. is incredible. It is so good i don't know what it is because it's not necessarily even a very visually stimulating scene it's uh big boss waking up in this hospital and this song is playing and there's something about it that is like so haunting and tone setting it's very very good the other one is from bioshock infinite when you are starting the game and you're first getting into columbia 
and you hear the barbershop quartet singing God Only Knows. And this is, it's incredible because it's a really well done barbershop quartet rendition of one of my favorite songs of all time. But it is a incredible story moment as well, because at the time of Bioshock Infinite, God Only Knows would not be written for many decades. And so it's the first clue I mean, obviously, there's something messed up. There's a city in the sky. So we, we get that. There's many clues. <laughs> that yeah. might not be the first clue. It might not be the That's first clue. That's something's wrong. But yeah, it's one, of the, it's one of the clues. Yeah. But it is a very strong clue that you're like, what is happening? This does not make sense. And I would very much like to know more. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, man. I had to, I had to think real hard about this. Because like, the first thing that came to mind immediately when I think about like, Licensed movie, uh, licensed music and video. Can games. I try to guess? Can I try to guess? Go ahead. Is it "Blow Me Away"? By no, ha- Halo. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, but right. that is that is one that's pretty yeah. fantastic. It's because it's just in the game, like in the middle of some random mission. Right. Incubus <laughs> is also on that soundtrack, and it's awesome. But I, the first thing that comes to mind to me is the ink spots in Fallout Three, and like just like the entire that entire radio station in Fallout really sells that atmosphere in a way that I don't like I don't think Fallout would be Fallout without that music. Like I think that music is such a huge has such a huge impact on the experience of that game and just hearing these like old songs that were like and it's like it there's such an eerie feeling to it because it's the old recordings. So it's not like it doesn't sound right. It's it sounds like otherworldly almost. Cause it's so old, but you have all this like futuristic tech around you. Pretty much everything in like Fallout Three and and even Fallout Four has a really good amount too. Even though a lot of it is is kind of the same stuff. I think about Bioshock Infinite again. Not just um, you had a really good uh, pick too, because that was like a really interesting like version of it. But even just hearing stuff like that that folk music in the beginning, like when you're ascending the tower, and it's like old time religion is playing and it's like a fucked version of it like just something that like it looks like they dug it out it sounds like they dug it out of like some landfill somewhere and it's like just barely scraping by all this like horrifying debris but i think i feel like fallout 3 might be that might be the biggest one more recently though death stranding has fantastic just moments where you're just walking through the landscape and just suddenly something will start and it'll start really slow like something like um asylum for the feeling or something will start playing and it's or low roar and it just fits so perfectly and what i love about those moments is that they're entirely dynamic they're they're like they're scripted clearly like for like certain parts of the game but not every moment of that uh song is scripted like you can go wherever you want and it's suddenly like this uh completely enveloping score to what you're doing and you almost feel kind of guided by the music but also free to kind of explore how that music will make you feel and like kind of like going through the environment like there's quiet songs that make you kind of inherently feel a little bit more reserved and a little bit less you know maybe you don't want to sprint through the environment because you kind of want to relax and hear this really really good music but those are 
those are just a, I'm sure there's others that like I'm I'm missing the, the weed burning song from uh uh Far Cry Three. Oh, Far Cry Three. Yeah. When you're burning all the weed. There's a lot. There's a lot of really good, good ones. Definitely. I thought of another, but I'm wondering, Colin, if it's yours. So I'll say oh, it at the end. If it. You, no, please. I don't remember what the song is though. But the ending of Red Dead Redemption Two, when oh, you are, are riding on the that. horse. No. Oh yeah, mine. that's uh, D'Angelo, I think. Yeah. Um, but that was a very impactful well. uh, licensed song in a game. Oh, totally. Really good. Yeah. For me, I, I feel like we keep talking about Grand Theft Auto, but. I always will remember the Red Dead, or I'm sorry, the Red Dead, the Vice City ad with Iran from Flock of Seagulls, which is a band I really love. That it, That is just an amazing song that I'll always associate with Vice City. And Vice City's soundtrack is absolutely shocking how good that, that, that soundtrack is, especially for someone that loves the 80s like me. And uh, the other answer I had to give was Mad World, the Tears cover. Um, I'm a Tears for Fears fan as well, but for Gears of War, I still think that that's the best gaming ad ever. And it's been, what, more than 15 years now. I'll never forget seeing that ad for the first time and being like, holy shit, this looks awesome. And that, that's what made me want to check out Gears of War, and I did. So those were the two answers I had. But yeah, you're, you're right. They're just copious answers that you could, you could use for this. Zachary, thank you for writing in. Walter Boley wrote in and said, all right, Sacred Symbols, fuck it. Another abandoned gut check. Colin, are you still all in on the 4D chess marketing or are the doubts starting to creep in? It's been a while since the blunder of an August app and reveal and it's been mostly quiet. What say you all? Excited for the episode and very much enjoyed watching the live show video. Cheers, guys. No, I'm in. I'm still in. I mean, like, what the fuck? Like, what do I have to lose at this point? Nothing. By the yeah. way, I thought it was weird. I, I heard that there's new PT Easter eggs in Director's Cut for Death Stranding, which I thought was weird. Oh. And I just, uh, I just won't let it go. I just can't let it go because I don't know what else it could possibly be. It's so incompetent that I actually think the more logical answer is that it's something else. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. That how how can it not be something else? It's impossible for me to imagine this. I don't get it. I don't know. But I've already gone. I'm far down the Marianas Trench at this point. Chris, (laughs) what do you think? I'm so over it. Just show me like when it's out, I'll I'll check it out. Like when there's actual actually something there, I'll I'll be interested in it again. But this I have never had something so new make me so upset. Like usually I need to be like familiar with something for a really, really long time, you know, to feel this amount of just discount you know what i mean sure like, it's, it's like when, when your favorite game it's like why'd you do that after five years of not doing that this is just this new game <laughs> that we don't even know what it is we don't know anything about it we've seen next to nothing we just have a name which is likely like a code name and i'm livid beyond reason at the very notion of this thing being real like i hope it's something good and i hope it's something that doesn't waste everybody's time but, like, I'm just so frustrated by this annoying marketing because at this point, it's not even really, like, interesting to me. Like, it's just, like... I agree with you there. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not thinking about it anymore. Yeah, like, I'm not... It's not on my mind at all until something comes up. And, like, if something will come up about it, then I'll pay attention to it. But I'm not going to be, like, ruminating for weeks about, like, ooh, I wonder if there's, like, a piece... Of, uh, I wonder if there's hidden messages in the code. You know, like, I'm not... I'm not there. No, not, I, I certainly... I'm with you on that. I'm certainly beleaguered and annoyed 
But Dustin, I still think that something's up. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's even this organized thing. I don't know, but I just feel like it can't. I really do believe that it is more ridiculous if this isn't anything, that this is actually insanity if that is the case. A a level of incompetence unseen in (laughs) in games. I mean, like you just don't see that even in games and there are horrible games. Let's not forget that this guy's working with a port or or a for hire studios, all these weird. Anyway, I don't want to go down this hole again. Dustin, what do you what do you think? I, I first of all just need to point out that Chris said livid beyond reason, and I I love that. It sounds like a like a hardcore band. Like you I was going to say, it, it sounds like a record a, name, like oh, livid beyond reason. So li- yeah, like livid. Your, it's like your sophomore effort, right? Yeah. Uh, livid beyond reason. Sacred <laughs> symbols, livid beyond reason. That's our first album. Yeah. So something funny about abandoned that you bring this up. They hadn't tweeted. They tweeted in mid September where they said that they were working on a redesign for their app. <laughs> they were working on a redesign for their app and then they went silent again and then uh mbg who we had on sacred symbols plus tweeted so what's going on with abandon and they broke their silence to respond and say we're on it <laughs> and that's it he's, and he i think he's in on the meta that guy's wittingly or unwittingly in on the metagame he's well he has an open dm with them i know that's what i'm saying like yeah that. so but I think that some of the people that they interviewed with are in uh, are unwittingly in on the metagame. I don't know if remember that one article we were making fun of from like it was like from Screen Rant or something. I'm like, Wait, this yeah. article this article sucks. Like this is so obvious. Why are you not? A- why is no one asking him the right questions? I can't go down this rabbit hole again. Let's end with Matt Council. Yes, who says, "Hey fellas, are you ever annoyed when game designers make choices that make a game more realistic at the expense of fun?" My personal pet peeve is when there are animations for picking up items and opening chests. I want to pick up items without breaking stride or slowing my horse's gallop. It may be less realistic for the item just to just disappear and enter my inventory. But come on, guys. We all know it's a game. Much love. You know, Dustin, for this one, I feel like it would be good if games just gave you the option more. A few games do give you animation options. Far Cry famously gives you animation option options or animation options where it's like, do you want to see you fucking spear this animal? Do you want to see yourself cut this bush or whatever? So. I think those kinds of options would be nice because I've been put off by I've I've said this in the past. I didn't play Dead Island beyond a couple of hours because I'm like, I can't fucking do this. You know, like there are just too many things to find. There's too much. It was just like it didn't give me enough options. And that game was pretty kinetic and quick. But um, anyway, what do you think about what Matt has to say here? Are there would you like those options? Are you annoyed by when games inject realism? Yeah, I usually don't like them. Specifically, what I'm thinking of right now we brought up Red Dead Redemption 2 earlier. I don't need to clean my gun. And that's kind of my thing related to maintenance of things. Survival games. I've I'm not into a lot of those mechanics. I don't want to ha- like eat in a game. I'm not just like I honestly find those aspects more annoying than anything else. It's almost like a, a shallow mechanic. It's like ah we're just going to force you to have to maintain this. Usually it's like a status bar by picking up an apple or something. And it's usually just an annoyance when it lowers all the way. So, yeah, I'm not I'm I don't like I've never really been into survival games for that reason. So and and even recently Deathloop, they had like the gun jamming mechanic, which didn't annoy me too much. In fact, I don't 
even really feel like it happened to me that often. It's just like, why? You know, this is just here to annoy me in the moment. Yeah, I hate I hated that in Far Cry too. I remember that being annoying as fuck. Uh, I here's the thing, Chris, is that I don't mind the level of realism, but yeah. it's like, why is say I'm getting like an herb, right? For like my for a potion I need. I why is it showing me bending it down and cutting it or picking it up? Yeah. But wouldn't the realistic thing be I bend down, I pick it up, I take my backpack off, I remove the dirt and the yeah. roots and I bundle it together and I put it in the bag and I put my backpack back on and I stamp. That's what's realistic. It's like, so what is the point of going of saying like, well, we're trying to be realistic. It's like, well, you're slowing the game down. It's like a facade of right. realism. It's actually, that's actually why I actually genuinely kind of, uh, I think that's part of why Reddit Redemption 2 doesn't bother me as much as it bothers a lot of people, because like a lot of that game is like the animations are really long and really tedious but they're also like really committed to the realism aspect of it to the point where it's not this weird half-ass thing where it's like, yeah, I'm cutting a weed and then like it just goes into my pocket. You know, it's it's actually like you you lean down and you're like cutting. And it Reddit Redemption 2, I, I, I always view more of like a like you are in a cowboy simulator, you know, more than it is a video mm. game. Like it's like you are you are this cowboy now. And you are in this world and it is tedious to go through drawers and shit. But for whatever reason, it worked for me. Whereas in other games, it would it would infuriate the hell out of me. Like if, if they had anything like that in like Doom. Oh, yeah. No, it wouldn't work. God Christ. Definitely not. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I don't like the... If you're going to do a really cool animation, in most cases, again, because like this is... There are exceptions to the rule, but in most cases... Give me an animation that doesn't wrestle control away from me. That is, I think, the most frustrating part of it is just because, like, in Skyrim, if I see a leaf on the ground that I want, I press E and I have it. You know, like, that's totally fine. In Borderlands, if I walk up to a chest, I press, you know, uh, you know, the square or X or whatever the hell the button is, and it opens. I don't need to see me kneeling down and opening the chest I don't need that. It, it it gets in my way. It wrestles control away from me. Just so you can show me an animation that, by the way, gets old immediately if it's that static. Totally. You know, if you're just seeing the exact same frame of a chest opening every single time you open a chest, I'd rather at least be able to open it, like, from behind, you know, without having to, like, show my hands or do anything like that. That at least makes the game less repetitious, even though it's actually not really doing anything all that much different other than just getting rid of an animation. I do think games like really just kind of over overreach in their presentation sometimes where it's like, I understand we want games to look good and we want games to look real, but I don't need my finger pressing an elevator button. Right. Like I don't need that. I'm more than happy with the half-life two style of just press a button and my brain will fill in I think that's like part of what's fun about like old video games as well. It's just like the anim, the, not the animation, but like the uh, how much heavy lifting your anim, your um, I keep saying animation, your imagination does for like a lot of these encounters and like older like even like things like Final Fantasy VII and like turn-based combat, like when when they were like really tiny polygons and like your brain was kind of concocting all right. these things. Even in some first-person shooters, I remember because there was no animation to like clicking buttons and stuff 
you could kind of express that animation however you wanted. I remember like in Half-Life 2, whenever I pressed a button, I would hit it with the crowbar and press the button at the same time. So it was like my Gordon Freeman was like, I'm getting out of here, you know, instead of just like being locked into this calm, premeditated animation. You could kind of express yourself Ooh. with the game. And uh, even in Halo, too, like as well, like that's a game with no animations like that. And I would always like, but I would always butt the door open button, like with the back of my gun, because it felt cool right. to do that, even though that's not necessarily what the game's telling you to do. It's just a way to have a little bit more personal control over like how your your character expresses themselves, especially in first person, which I think is super. Important. Yeah, I love I but, love a lot of what you said there. And. It's interesting. I do think developers need to get out of their own way, especially because some of these tricks are no longer needed since they were hiding things in the game. Sometimes the the pressing of the elevator is just a is just shortening your load screen, etc. I think there's no need for that. And I love what you said about kind of filling in the gaps and understanding what's there. I think about some of the old games I played the Dragon Warrior slash quest games on NES, Final Fantasy four and Final Fantasy six on SNES, where your sprite is the same like you're walking around a map and the treasure there's a treasure chest and you walk up to next to the treasure chest and the chest and your sprite are the same size you press a button and you just it just says click and it opens and it says on the screen what you have and you just press the a button and you walk away like i like that kind of stuff and mm -hmm. that's fine we don't play but yeah i don't want to say we don't play games for a certain reason i, I don't want to say that it's germane it has to be germane to what you're trying to do in the game and i like things where i think it was new vegas that was the first fallout to do it it might have been might have been New Vegas. Maybe it was Fallout 4, but where it was like the realistic mode. You have to sleep, have to eat. You can't fast travel. Can't do I like that. That's cool. But just make that an option. Yeah. So I don't exactly. have to like go through all of the rigmarole because I don't give a shit that it makes no sense that I just fast traveled. I don't care. So <laughs> yeah. that, that's that's uh, yeah, that's my take. But I, it's cool for to, to explore the entire spectrum. Very serious, very laborious, very deep games. That's cool just not really what i'm looking for oh mm. all right boys that's all we have for this episode of sacred symbols this meaty episode of sacred symbols chris do you have any closing comments uh no but i smell i smell chicken nice and i'm getting excited Olo. oh god <laughs> that i can't abide by <laughs> i had a friend of mine say that in la like he'd lived there for years and he went to this mexican restaurant all of us went to this taco stand or whatever and he says can i get polo i'm like dude you know no. <laughs> you've been here for years you know yeah. how like i i was so upset i couldn't look at him for weeks i imagine dustin closing comments i think that uh not i think i am going to a convention this weekend the pittsburgh gaming convention cool. Some real small scale but it looks like a fun time so at me on twitter if you're gonna be there i think i'm gonna be there on sunday so it'll be cool this is the first convention type thing that i've been to post covid and it'll be cool that it's a local thing here in the monroeville area and uh, i'm hoping to just like see some uh I'm, I'm more excited about like shopping like trying to find some like cool games or like merchandise or homemade stuff whatever definitely i have no idea what to expect that's what it's all about yeah it should be cool cool man have fun be safe Thank you all out there for your love, kindness, and support of Sacred Symbols and Last Stand Media. Not much more to say this week, but we'll see you next week. Uh, next week. <sighs> we'll see you next week for more of the show. Uh, we'll see you on Patreon for Sacred Symbols Plus, et cetera, and so on. Until then, goodbye. See ya. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand, LLC. 
and is proudly recorded in the USA. The show is conceived by, is written by, and is directed by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-hosts are Chris Raygun Maldonado and Dustin Furman. The show is produced by executive producer Dustin Furman. It's edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by my best friend, Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand's shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer level on Patreon, our highest tier, and we're grateful for your thoughtful and kind contributions to our independent endeavor. Thank you. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLDFMA, Jorge Palomino, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Tom Quinn, Henry Groth, Joshua, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, Jordan Mittman, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacios, Graham Plays, Christian Rodriguez, Jad Rita, Kurt M. Gillenberg, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Josh Hallen, Rui, Tyler Watkins, Troilus True, Dan Root, Isabella Hope, Top G82, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Halsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukum, Jim Bob, 56, William Holbert, Dr. Stump, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H. Trons, Ethan Davies, Jay Getter, Manuel Ochoa, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Silvinsky, Galja of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Keegs, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Kinnams, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Caswell, Andy Kinnanen, Chris, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Evan Dalton, Zach Allen, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naaman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie108, D.B. Cooper, Cody Bradbury, Tom Cargill, Richter86, Steve Hodge, Holfeldian, Ian Bravo, Barrett Boswell, Andrew Parker, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Mark Liberto, Johnny Waffles, Roto24, Jonathan Coates, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chan, Jay, Organic Produce, Shane St. Pierre, Carlos Algarit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Brody Rainey, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, Betty Ann Moriarty, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton K, Brian W. Rath, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zuniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, James Kinsler III, Will Caldwell, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Phil Crone, Throw Seven, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, David David Mann, Petra Rhodes, Lockmort, Gio Corsi, Joey Gondhaliker, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Codero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Carson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Carper, Mad Mock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming.